Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 27 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. How's it going, April? It is going very, very well. How are you, James? I'm good. So how many baby snakes are you up to? Oh, gosh, you're making me count. Um, it's 12 numbers. plus 3 plus 10. Jesus, you know, I'm not doing math. I asked you. You tell me. <laughs> that's not that hard. It's 25. I got 25 babies. That's it. And then two baby geckos. So baby, What kind of geckos? Those are the, oh, the barking geckos. Barking, that's right. Barking, barking yeah. geckos. Yeah, Weird, I got two of them. Weird-ass geckos. I know. They're fun. You poke With funny them, tails. Yep. Yep. They're good stuff, though. They're fun. They're a lot of fun. Fun yeah. little thing. Get things with legs take more food. This is true, and that is a little bit harder for me to get used to, you know, feeding more often. <laughs> yeah. A little bit difficult sometimes. But <laughs> you can't just be like, oh, I'll feed it next week sometime. Yeah. You know, oh, once a month, that's fine. No, that won't work with these ones. But you, know. you could feed it once a month, one time. Yeah, and that would be it. <laughs> Low maintenance. <laughs> All right, before we get any farther into the show, I do want to mention uh, our sponsors. Uh, sponsors with an S. We have two of them. The first one, of course, is Lone Star Reptile Racks. Our buddy Robert, who is killing it, uh, he's had a couple of huge orders lately just talking to him. So he's doing amazing. But if you need a rack, contact him. Get a rack. He's awesome. Uh, I've got to actually, he's making me a small rack for uh, quarantine, a little three tub, a little three tier rack for quarantine because my quarantine cage became my Brettles cage. So now I need, yeah, I need cage. to get on that. I need to get like a little quarantine setup in my guest room going. So I'll have to contact him too. See, yours is going in your guest room. Mine's going in my bedroom. Because now I made a my pact okay with myself. With yeah, I made a pact with myself a while ago where the snakes are not going in the master bedroom. So that's it. They get the guest bedroom. Well, that doesn't sound fun at all. It's fun enough for me. <laughs> I need some separation. <laughs> and then our other sponsor, our new sponsor that I'm happy to introduce is the it's Herps Reptile Shows. It's my buddy Sean and Lori at the Herps Reptile Shows. They are our new sponsor. Uh, if you live in Texas, Louisiana, see Missouri, Oklahoma, Colorado, any of those Tennessee, places, Tennessee, soon Alabama, yeah, starting one in Alabama. So uh, you can make it to one of their shows. And to me, is if you don't count the big shows, because those shows like Tenley and Daytona, those are their own thing. I think the Herb shows are the best reptile shows in the entire country. Um, but, I've only been to one, so I can't really fully say. <laughs> sure, you, you can, you can, you can agree. You're um, right. They're the best. <laughs> but coming up, if you may want to make it to one, the next one is in Corpus Christi, Texas, August 8th and 9th. And then they have one August 22nd and 23rd in Kansas City, Missouri, which has always been super confusing. You have Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. I don't. You know, there's multiple like towns and cities that are named the same thing in different states. You realize yeah, these, that, right? But, no, but these are separated by a river. Like they're there. They're right that's super confusing. There's West Memphis and Memphis, and they're in different That states. is very confusing also. <laughs> I've stayed in West Memphis, and if anybody's listening, don't stay in West Memphis. That is a bad idea. There's nothing there. Go to Memphis. Um, and then they, their last show in August is in Oklahoma City, August 29th and 30th. And then my first show 
finally because they're coming back this way is new orleans september 12th and 13th which i'm looking forward to so those are the next four shows they have going anyways that gets our sponsors out of the way we're super excited and happy to have them sean and Lori are amazing people so i'm very happy to have them as a sponsor now let me get to the mess that is this show this show is got um, i'm staring at a bunch of faces here but none of y'all can actually see all these people um because you're just hearing the audio there's a bunch of people sucking on cigars that's oh no that's not a cigar never mind oh my gosh just start introducing (laughs) people come on let's go we've got Eric Burke from Morelia Python Radio and E.B. Morelia, and then Owen McIntyre from Morelia Python Radio and Rogue Reptiles. And we'll get into the other podcast later. That's the only one I'm naming right now. All right. So. <laughs> Owen's like, I'm not on those, so those I'm don't matter. I'm not on those, so they don't matter. So <laughs> We've got our buddy Joe Phelan from From the Ground Up and Port City Pet or Port City Pythons, however you may know Joe. Uh, we have Justin Smith from the Herpticulture Network now because, again, there's 50 million podcasts there. And also Palmetto Coast Exotics and Jacob Brotz from JLB Morelia because he wanted his name to sound like Eric's company. And then Riley, Jim- <laughs> Riley Johnson from the Reptile Room Podcast and Riley's Reptiles. <sighs> I made it through that. Okay. It's okay, Jake. We I'm still love you. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Some- okay. Sometimes the truth hurts. It's whatever. I don't even care. <laughs> Turn off my camera. Don't let them see you cry. <laughs> Take my ball and go home. Better be careful. He's going he's gonna to go grab the white claw and hoard himself in a room getting drunk on white girl drinks. Hey. That's a way to deal with hey. it. I hey, mean. April's a white girl. Leave her alone. Am I supposed to deal with things in other ways? I, I thought that's, that's what we did. I was So anyways, I'm super happy. I've been wanting to have this episode for a while, kind of a podcaster's roundtable. And I know there's other podcasts out there, but these are the ones that I make sure I listen to every week. And they're my friends. So I had them on. So You're going to regret this. <laughs> I, I already do. So, but one thing I do want to, so we're going to do it kind of like our normal podcast, but I'm sure there will be a lot more of Riley laughing in the background. Yes, you. No one can see him pointing to himself, but Riley, I listen to your podcast enough to know that it ends up with you laughing like 80% of the podcast. Laughter is good for the soul. It's good muscle workout for your facial facial muscles, and it keeps you young. But it doesn't keep you say, going bald. I wasn't going to say it. Okay. I wasn't going to say it. It doesn't keep you looking young. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. At least you went there and I didn't have to. Yeah, so, no. Self-deprecation is uh, fantastic. <laughs> it's better than self-defecation. That's completely different. That was before the show. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey-o. Oh, So, anyway, starting with our, as we do each episode, we have our question on our Facebook page. And the one this week was obviously aimed at knowing I had this podcast coming. What type of content would you like to see or hear more of on Reptile Hobby Podcasts, YouTube channels, magazines, etc., since we have Riley and his YouTube channel and Justin and his magazine. So we got several different results and answers. Um, Travis said that he would like Travis Wyman, which uh, who else had Travis Wyman on their episode on their podcast so far? We have. Yeah. Like it's Riley. The only one. Like a few times. I don't remember. I'm the new guy. What do you want? When you're not, when you, when you get beyond 27 episodes into like, you know what? Suck it. 
Where are we, Eric? <laughs> Four hundred sixty something. <clears throat> end up having repeat. You know, you know what? You know what? Quantity doesn't always mean quality. <gasps> Eric, do you hear what he said? <laughs> no, he Eric's stuff is good. I'm just talking about you. Oh, I'm <laughs> no. That's why I direct. You can't come at me without him. So yeah. So Travis Wyman said, "I would like to hear about species outside of the typical mm-hmm. ones that are the usual fodder." Which I think. Mm. We try. It's the problem is a lot of times people keeping the weird stuff aren't the ones aren't very social people. I think a lot of them keep their stuff hidden, and so you don't really get them on podcasts. But like Riley, you've got the giant Madagascar hog nose. Yeah, that's kind of outside the norm. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, and I'm getting to you. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Riley has reproduced them. You just kind of have them, Owen. <sighs> Mine are all. Yeah, I got lucky and only got one. You got two. And then, well, you know, and then one one. Died. Yeah. well, I got three, but one didn't make yeah. it out of the egg and one did and didn't make it. And then I got this one over here doing really well. More I got. So, yeah. But you've got that. Everybody's gone. Everyone here's kind of got the little odd thing. Uh, I did finally get yesterday. I ordered my dream snake for them like 20 years ago. I've been wanting the snake forever, but I ordered two rubber boas. Nice. From yeah. where? From I don't want to mess up their name. The rubber boa this. store. The the rubber boa getting <laughs> place. Why didn't you look there first? <laughs> like <laughs> rubber, rubber boas are us. It's from uh, Zirkle Reptile Company. Oh, of oh. course. I need to look. <clears throat> those are probably are those wild caught? No, they're captive bred. Two thousand nineteen. California might have an issue with that, but that's awesome. Yeah, oh, the good thing about living in Louisiana, I can have them. Yeah, but I, I remember seeing them in a picture in the Audubon Field Guide like 20 years ago, going, "I want that snake," and like one of the hardest. Every time I see them, they're already sold. And then Travis sent me a message last night and goes, "Hey, look at this," and then I bought them right away. Travis also he got a big female, I think. Oh yeah, he has uh, 1.2 now, and they get big female, so hopefully he'll be breeding soon. But I went and bought a wine cooler today for my rubber boas. Because I live in I Satan's asshole, and it's too hot down here to get them down. So, so they live in coastal Santa Cruz, not tubs, <laughs> not styrofoam. Yeah, I've got to be able to get them down to the 50s. And Travis like, just put them in the basement. I'm like, I live in Louisiana. Basements become basements indoor pools. Yeah, it doesn't. We don't have basements here in California. That's because your house will fall into them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know some of y'all. I'd, Justin, you've got your uh, little weird venomous snakes. Boy, Boy yeah. Boya? Boyga. I don't want to use any scientific names this episode. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be too much for you today. It comes down to the common <laughs> level. I mean, yeah. you know. That's right. Yeah. The unwashed masses. Don't, got don't use the big words around us. Mm. Called plain speak around here. <laughs> um. Owen, what would you think to say is the the most oddball species you work with? Not kind of the, not kind of the Madagascar's. Damn it! Um, <laughs> I guess you can say the roughies, right? I mean, the Chinese, Chinese king rats, um, roughies, Vietnamese blue beauties, rhino rat snakes, Timor pythons. What do you want? So you just like big angry colubrids? <laughs> yeah, doesn't everybody? No, I'll pass. That, that, yeah, that, Riley. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> There's my guy. Riley's so. like, if it strikes at me and bites me, I love it. Yeah. I mean, so those, I mean, you can say the rough scales, um, don't I? Eric, what's, I mean, because most Wait of Wait a second. Pot- what did you Wait. say at the end there? <laughs> he said he don't you, him, Joe. When did you get those? Do you actually have them or are you planning on getting them? 
Yeah, okay. Sorry, He's I didn't work the mute button. It's just, I don't know what's going on there. So it's, I don't know. Oh, oh man. man. Nope. I'm going to come over later. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few people that are within striking distance of my house. So I have to watch what I say. So, oh. so Eric, what would be the uh, weirdest, I guess, oddball one for you? Probably Apodora. Yeah. Or Riley, that, Riley you have one, right? Python. Yeah, I have one. Irian Jaya Python. <laughs> that one. God, the odd IJ. The the, the Pions. Uh, God, uh, okay. It's <laughs> <Tap> adorable. <laughs> so you only have a single Eric, right? Just Yeah, I'm gonna send my female to Riley. <laughs> See, the people miss out on not seeing Riley just get excited there. <laughs> In his little room by himself. He's just so happy. I'm, hey, <laughs> this is how good I shoot. <laughs> and again, no one can see <laughs> what he's pointing at. Just oh my just God. A door with <laughs> paper on it. Oh. Eric's pop yeah. on a bit me, that little bastard. Oh, dude, I'm excited now. She's got <laughs> What yeah. did you do to her to make her no. do that? Actually, oh, I've I've read that the females are consistently a little more territorial, defensive, especially cage defensive. Yeah. Uh, and across the board, males tend to be a little more forgiving in that regard. But um, like any animal, you know, there's a little variation there. And and females, once you get them out of the enclosure, it sort of turns off. But you know, it just speaks to their. Um, their sort of location selectiveness that they have and their preference for like a really secure den, even though they're a big snake, like they really want that choice area. And so it makes sense to have a, a female be very defensive like that. So I like hearing that, you know, animals in captivity, even only one generation of captive uh, breeding in still have that very uh, wild uh, natural instinct like that. So is there a fear of them eating each other? Are they known to be snake eaters or? Yes, they are. Uh, I've actually scrubs. fed. Yeah, they're basically scrubs, um, but like big, like a little bit thicker body, almost like, almost like a, the, the, the musculature of boids, how like a six foot boa and a six foot python, the boa is like way denser in muscle tone. Yeah. Things are like a scrub that's been going to the gym since it was born and juices and they're really really strong um but my little dude he uh he's already eaten um a children's python that passed away that i had um it took him a minute to really think it through but he he like you saw the gears turning he's like "Mm -hmm. what is this kind of figured it out ate it and he ate it like he's been doing it his whole life so how do you pair them with like to try and reduce the risk of them eating each other. Carefully. Right. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. watch them. Yeah, I, I, I have only heard and spoken to one person specifically. I've listened to a few others' accounts of their experiences, but basically you definitely don't want to, like, pair them and leave. You want to yeah. be ready to go. Like, you might as well just leave the door open to the enclosure um, and sit and watch, and then – uh, I've heard a lot of hypothesis that it's, it, you'll have better success when you have a confident male and a confident male is one who's closest in size to a female. If you have a male who's too small, um, he might not feel confident. They're very visually cued in. So things that are bigger than them definitely intimidate them and you can see that in their behavior. 
And females, if they perceive the male as small enough to eat, they're going to. So you just got to make sure the same size. So are the males and females not drastically different? I mean, I know they get big, but how much bigger do females get than a male? You can get a male to be the same size as a female from what I've heard. And I've seen 12 foot males before. So, so it's kind of different than like most, cause most snakes were all like, we want small males cause they're hornier and they do the job. Not with these guys. <laughs> gotcha. You want a big male who can stand his ground and will convince it's very primitive about it they really do like the females really do look at a male whether or not he's fit for breeding or feeding that's what she's deciding so yeah i've worked with um every species of scrub except king horn eye um but i saw them in the wild i've worked with burn we get it you've been there uh Oh Jesus! I can't. And now we're um, going to tell you about the Owen Pelly story. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, get comfortable because we're going to do it again. Op brothers in the house. So no. we, we were on top of a mountain. Whole mountain, and Eric lost his phone. Like, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, we can do it. Fr- it was cool we almost know we the story. I'll hijack this thing. Heard the story? What is it? <laughs> my whole po- my whole point is is that those snakes are in a league of their own as far as strength. I've worked with every large There's constrictor so that you have. What's that? <laughs> and uh yeah, they're uh they're they're just I don't know. Riley, I don't know if you would agree, but they're strong. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're just I, like completely different level. I consider my my rainbow boas at five and six feet big enough to choke me out. My my female has almost done that one time. Um and so they're definitely really dense. I go and pick up a four foot male who's maybe, you know, just shy of a year old based on estimated when he was collected and brought in and how young he was when I got him and everything. So let's say he's 10 months old. He's really strong. He can turn my hand purple at 10 yeah. months old. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, they're just a different type of Python. Yeah. They have the same like small scales, really smooth skin, like retics do. It's really thin, but I don't know what it is. They, there are, their musculature is perfect. They are built for it. Yeah. So how many people are actually breeding them in captivity? I know they get imported and I know you get curious. Is anybody really? I only know of uh, three, uh, three people. I know one person that's two people that have bred them, Casper and um, uh, that guy, um, was it Kevin, Kyle, Kevin, something yeah. like that? Kevin, Kevin in, yeah. in Maine or Rhode Island? I don't remember where he's from. He was but, up um, north. He was up northeast. Y- y'all had him on, I think, in 2017. Yeah. yeah. I think he had yeah. him on a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't – yeah, I, other than that, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 know, know some, uh, I know somebody produced some in France, I think, last year. But as mm-hmm. far as the U.S., I haven't heard many, if any, as of recent, at least – so it's, it's, it's basically a safe bet to say that they've only been bred in captivity fewer than 10 times globally. Yeah. And so their numbers are low because they're relatively due to the hobby or they got just kind of pushed underneath the rug like some others. Well, the first problem is, is that they're, it's hard to get males. It's very, very difficult. For some reason, the only females come in. So yeah. it's really hard to come across a male. Um, and then when you do find them, it seems that they're very uh, mate selective. So if you have a pair, that doesn't mean that they're going to breed. And then you have to worry about them, <laughs> the female killing the male. So yeah. 
it's not uh you know if you if you have a breeding pair that that are proven that's worth its weight in gold if you're yeah. in that species and there are fairly big snakes i'm assuming if you they're huge it all works out so it's a big, big clutch right or is it yeah, i think the, i think I, the typical python big yeah python it's like getting into the 20s or so probably probably I don't. It's hard I don't to know. tell. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, so it has been much breeding, James. God. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how often people have gotten numbers close to that, but yeah, I mean, I know folks that um, one or one person in particular who has a, a a pair of adults that he's had for at least six, seven years, and pairs every year, and he gets breeding copulation. Uh, and he gets right to the, the like ovulation swell, and then boom, nothing happens. She reabsorbs, she doesn't go further, and that's that every single year. That's Some of the IJs you can breed from Papua New Guinea that uh, are pretty consistent. Those and well, Morelia, right? And Chondros. All the other <laughs> pythons are just, you know, forget it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Joe, what is, I know you've got the pines. I guess that's the most oddball thing that you have, or I mean, you just got into geckos. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have Lichianus geckos and crested geckos and gargoyle geckos. I don't think that's really unusual. Uh, definitely Louisiana pines and Slowinski's corn snakes. I would say that those are two of the rare ones that I have. Owen, he said it. He said it. He said it. Yep, yep. That was Wait. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, Riley, Riley and I nothing. were talking about those nothing. corn snakes. Nothing. Yeah, no, nothing. You mean the, the Kasachi corns, those? Yeah, no. But me and yeah. me and Riley, <laughs> Riley and I had a very good, a very good podcast in which, uh, yeah, I, I say the whole spiel about. I mean, I can drive. It's like twenty minutes away. I can be in Kasachi. I can go find them right well, over there. I, I need corns. you to go get me a Not few pairs, please. <laughs> now if we are. If they're not scaleless, uh, what's the point? Ooh, scaleless with bug eyes. Throw this man off this podcast, I, dear God. <laughs> You've crossed the line. <laughs> so, Jake, what is, I mean, what is, do you think is the most oddball thing in your collection that you're working with? I, I mean, as far as, as far, yeah, definitely. As far as oddball, I mean, I don't really consider anything I work with oddball. I've got a, I've got a scrub python, and then I've got some locality bull snakes, but other than that, it's all carpet, so. You know what it's not? It's crazy. It's, it's, it's not. Go for snakes, I should say. It's not a chondro. Imagine if you could just had, if you could get one chondro from somebody. Yeah, I know, man. If only somebody could help, help a brother out, but you know. Whatever. Yeah, Eric, you heard him. Cool. Come on, they're, they're <laughs> waiting on you to hook a brother up. So I don't know. Oh, anyways, so back to the question. Some of the other things that people said was, "I would love to hear or see how to properly start a podcast or YouTube channel. What equipment and programs are used?" It's super easy. <laughs> I did a video on it. I don't yeah. know if you noticed, but we all fumble through it in the beginning. So just do it. <laughs> I was like, go, go on Amazon and search podcast, Mike, order one, and then just start recording yourself talking about crap. I mean, just looking at it, Joe, Eric, we all have the same ones. Like I'm looking at everybody's stuff, uh, but that that's it. Everybody else has got different gear and it's still working. So, and you can listen to the first three seasons of NPR and figure out how not to do that. <laughs> like don't do that and then you're good so yeah, yeah. remember if you raised your voice it used to stab me in oh the my ears? god oh my god it was a nightmare to listen to in the car 
I miss that I have not made anybody go deaf with the new recording. It was so and hard to listen to it. It hurts me. Like, I, I kind of took some joy in that, that I was injuring you people out there. So, yeah. Well, and then, like, Riley, you do your videos. Oh, yeah. Is your stuff on your phone when you record for YouTube? Uh, no, I actually do have a, a point-and-shoot camera that I use. But uh, I used to do it all on my phone, period. I'm saying nowadays with some of the phones, it's, I mean, the cameras are so good that yeah. you can, if you want to do if you want to do youtube just do it on your phone and record whatever I mean, you want to do i can edit on my phone i put all my videos together on my phone i can do it on my computer but it's like a few extra steps and just, i just deal with a smaller screen that's all yeah i still edit all my videos and stuff on youtube on my phone and i do it on my phone and i have like an iphone 6 like old old phone and it still works out fine yeah so anybody I'm that wants to start one there's only a million podcasts out there. You can be a million and one. It's not that hard, which is a good thing now. I'm super excited. We'll talk about that kind of stuff in a little bit. But uh, Scott Iper said proper venomous husbandry and protocol methodology. I mean, there's plenty of improper husbandry and protocol methodology for venomous stuff. I mean, It'd be easier to show you what not to what do. Not to do. Yeah, just watch those. Don't do that. That's, that's the easiest part. Uh, he says there's lots of uh, both poor behavior and alarmist commentary on the reality of venomous husbandry. Uh, no one suggests that free handling is an intelligent way to manipulate these animals, but coming into contact by manipulating a snake with hands and equipment does not equal poor handling. I mean, the problem is the number one person on YouTube with venomous snakes are you know, two of them tend to free handle. And those are the ones that reptile people aren't really watching them. The general public are watching them. And that's even more dangerous. Hey, guys, did you know that Steve Irwin freehandled? Yeah, but he's Steve Irwin. I don't give a shit. Oh, okay. So he was, checking. He was he a god. A pass, he, Joe. He, yeah, you, you, <laughs> you Joe, back what up, the Joe. hell are you doing? <laughs> Double standard. <laughs> so that's a good point to make. I have Steve Irwin tattooed on my leg because I love that dude. So I understand he did things that are probably not considered kosher today. And there are definitely personal extremes based on what people are doing. I have tailed venomous snakes before. That is fine. Tailing is sometimes the best and safest yeah. way with certain animals, right? Um, That's different yeah. than what you see on YouTube when they're freehanding. Correct. Yeah, cobra. like like di you know, dipping your hand in a big can to grab a, an ornery cobra is probably not a, a great way to remove an animal. You could use a hook. So there are definite, you know, best practices that are not always being showcased out there. But you know, there are always situations where you have to drop your script and you drop your book and you forget all the rules you've been taught and you have to just do whatever it is in that situation to make it work and you have to think on the fly and sometimes your hands need to be involved I, all i'm saying is like things happen things can go wrong and things can change with every situation every handling with even just rattlesnakes can be very different at the, the flip of a switch so obviously that is not what we're seeing in no. some of these videos. Um, and I'm not saying I condone that behavior and agree with it. I certainly wouldn't do that. You know, I've never operated in venomous ways, you know, doing Well, that. and when you say you, t you tail a snake, you also have a hook nearby. A hook. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm using a yeah. hook. Like, you know, any cobras, you can, you can get the front of them on the hook, have them out, and you can tail them. And you just need to understand that at any given moment, you need to be drop that hook and drop that snake. You got, you got to be able to go back to double hook. If you can't double hook a venomous snake, 
you really need to like go back a few steps because that's the, the foundational basics. Like you need to have your basics covered. The guys that free handle stuff are what we would call experts. And so we all refer to Steve Irwin as an expert though. And we look at what he did and he never got bit. And so he, you know, like he's, I don't know. It was, and but it, he's different though. I, don't, I never felt like a reptile was going to be. Why? Why is he? Different? There's something isn't about it, him. Isn't it different though in Australia? I mean, think about it. They four-year-olds do it there, right? It's just yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just it's just a elaborate. different mindset that they have in yeah. Australia when it comes yeah. to venomous snakes. I mean, that's how they start keeping reptiles. A yeah. Lot of them. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to they're them, awake. they're 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 very in tune with that that species. Issue I have is the handling a venomous reptile for a purpose, like moving in the cage or moving it here, moving it there, is fine. Putting it close to your face because you want to get the gram picture, that, that's now now you're playing with five. That's like putting a gun to your head and for a picture. It's like, no. So well, I'm waiting for somebody to get bit in the face. And The problem with that is, it. yeah, if someone gets bit, something will happen to them. And I don't really give two shits if something happens to them. What I'm more worried about is what happens to the hobby when that video gets – three million likes on it and they start to realize that we can't have animals anymore because this one guy got bit that's what scares me well it's like um it's like when the whole tiger king thing came out and i think i was the only one like wait he was filming at crutchfield's place before he got distracted and went oh, yeah. this whole special <laughs> i'm like i'm waiting for the next round of things to be all about reptile stuff and i'm like oh crap like yeah i mean but don't you think us as podcasters and, and content creators have a certain responsibility to, I mean, we constantly are talking about it, you know? That's true. And we're putting it out there and people are going to be curious because we're not saying who it is. So they're going to go look and then they're going to watch it and then they get more views and more views and more views and more views, which pushes them up in the algorithm for YouTube. And next thing you know, they're at the top of the thing. That's the why other I don't know. Just, the other problem with that is if we don't talk about it, then all they see is that part of it. True. But then we have the a responsibility side. to show how people how to do it the right way. Yes. And I, but, and I, and I did keepers that do videos of proper care, husbandry, handling, things like that. So and, that's and I, a good example. I did want to say that my earlier point was just sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit just to make sure the other side was you know, the other responsible side was represented. There are some extremes that are definitely being portrayed out there. Um, it is not considered professionally safe in any zoos or facilities to, to do any of that, of what you see on YouTube, unless you see somebody using double hooks. And so like Eric Chambers, that guy who works over at BHB, he has his personal channel. He has a cottonmouth at home. He has the enclosure labeled with venomous, locked, like, and he uses double hooks takes the animal out with double hooks, puts it in a lock container. Like he does it legit. And those videos don't get a smidge of the attention otherwise, because it's not sexy. It's not flashy, but to be honest, it's perfect. It's exactly what it needs to be. And that's, that's all venomous keeping is, is yeah. just like, you know, having the animal over there and just being safe when you have to interact. Really not as exciting as people think it is. No, it's, I mean, the only time I've ever touched a venomous snake was Gaboon Viper after we'd already put its head inside of a tube. And then we had to give it injections. Like everything else was shift cage, cages and hands off as much as possible. Ooh, if that counts, I touched a timber. That was fun. <laughs> I will say having a, a, a rattlesnake start to come out of anesthesia in your hands is a little uh, nerve wracking and fun. <laughs> 
but it's like, oh, that thing moved. All right, put it back on air, please. <laughs> yeah, I I would always twinge when I'd have to help with like large cats or like bears or something in surgery, and like they breathe and just something moves. I'm like, is that is that good? Like he's not waking up, right? <laughs> Try riding in the back of a van with a couple hundred pound female lioness who's off oxygen for the drive from the cat house all the way down to the clinic for a couple minutes, and you're in the back and asking, why the hell did I get in here? Yeah, when shit goes wrong, it really goes wrong. Uh You don't have to be the fastest. Just don't be the slowest. No, but if you're that guy that opens the door, you screw everyone, and you're that guy. So it's like you either die or kill a bunch of people. It's like, uh, Don't be that guy. So don't get in the van. (laughs) Hey. But they had free candy. If that that bitch Carol Baskin can handle it, I think you can too. I don't know, dude. You ever seen a lioness's head up close? She yes, I have. <laughs> she wouldn't even have to open her head all that far to put her your whole neck in her mouth and just go squeeze, and you're done. And then she'll like <laughs> drag you around like a little toy, like a prize, and just share everything. So Scott Iper also said, honestly, regarding animal husbandry requirements such as UVB, is one thing you like to see. After uh, papers have come out showing an increase in bone density in snakes when the, uh, they've gotten UVB, because I know as as snakes we don't tend to think UVB because we've all been like show them in a tub and then we find. Um, but you are seeing more and more research done with how good UVB is. So I'd like to see more of that. I, I think I've, I mean there's a little bit a little bit here and there on some of the other podcasts, and I've heard some of y'all even talk about it uh, how good UV is. So it's out there. Well, yeah, I think it's becoming more and more mainstream in the hobby. Yeah, well, I think people are just opening their minds and asking the right questions and just looking into everything that we've sort of poo-pooed or disregarded um, to see, like, is that true? They're finding out for themselves. What we need is a manufacturing company that can somehow integrate a light system that works for a rack system so that people who can keep their snakes in racks can still deliver UVB. That way, nobody has an excuse so people use enclosures, they already use UVB because they have these slots for the lights and everything in there, and you can drop a lamp there. But how do you put a UV light in a rack? Like, what if it is a species that really does well in a rack? Yeah. But you want to give it some UVB. Well, it's like my, my sandboas do great in a rack. They just want to stay hidden and away from everybody. Or like April's uh, blood pythons and all. They do great in rack systems. Like my, my giant hog nose, I'm sure would love it. In a cage, that's fine. In a rack, how do I do that? Yeah, that I've always thought that would be a great idea, and then it would kind of say this, but it would kind of shut up the people who want to make us feel horrible for having a rack system for our snakes. And I'm all for it, giving them UV light if it was possible. Yeah, um, and not having to do a cage for every single. I mean, like I said, my sandboas don't really do well. They do well being hidden away. So since I'm the oldest guy here, <clears throat> it was I've seen the reptile hobby change into like three different things, right? So in the early days, it was all about species and keeping species and just having like, you know, uh, a collection like a zoo, you know? Um, wow, I got, you know, a Western Diamondback. Check this out. Wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. You know, and then all of a sudden it changed to morphs. And when I got back into the hobby, um, it became about breeding and everybody wanted to sort of be that guy because that's how you were legitimate. It was, you know, oh, look at this combination that I made and I'm, I'm not saying that that's bad and I'm not against that at all, but it, it just seemed that that's sort of where the focus was, at least when I was coming back in in, in the two thousands, you know, and um, 
I don't know. I see it going back more the other way. I think it's just a, a pendulum that just keeps swinging. But um, it seems like the next generation of herpers are sort of, or sna- I should say snake keepers are sort of saying, okay, well, I don't want to keep 120 snakes. I want to keep, you know, 20 snakes. And I still can breed and I still can have morphs. But I think there's just, at least for me now, I'm at the spot where I just want a little piece of nature in a box. And I want it to be as close to nature as I can get. Because that's my, this is my hobby. This is my go away. This is how I relax. You don't get that same thing from looking at a snake in a tub. Yeah. At least that's my experience. In, in my day, boas cost a nickel. <laughs> they were three cents. <laughs> right. Sorry. A foot. <laughs> you sold corn snakes by the foot. By, by oh, damn. Foot. Um, then Brendan Frisella on our, on our Facebook said also, he'd like to see more about the ethics of keeping, not just from an opinionated standpoint, but more centered around the philosophical ethics and what facts we do know, which kind of what we talk about. We've learned more and it's also just a matter of changing. I don't I feel like there's a, when we get into talks about what's right and what's wrong, there's a million ways that things are right. And the problem is you get in those camps where like right now, bioactive is big. And if you don't want to set your animal up with bioactive and a big cage and all these plants, then you're doing it wrong, which I don't think is true. I just think you're doing it different. I mean, uh, I had to do an interview for a local college kid of ethics of feeding live. So is it ethical to feed rodents, live rodents to your snakes? Eh, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like a double-edged sword where it's like, yeah, well, I need to make sure the snake stays alive, but that means devaluing the rodent's life. But you know what? That's the food chain. So it's, you just kind of hope it's over quick and that the ant, the rodent was raised properly and all other fun stuff. But ethics can be a hard thing to slice with this kind of stuff. Well, it's all subjective. That's the problem. Like one person's idea of good ethics is another person's idea of horrible ethics you know it's like that's that's my problem with the whole thing is someone <clears throat> telling me how i should or shouldn't keep a certain species and it's usually people that have had very little to no experience with that species they just saw something online they're regurgitating that information so yes that's i'm not into it but i think what we I'm can do what's right for the species is that what's not subjective is peer-reviewed science about uv being beneficial to reptiles which i think we need to kind of accept eventually yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think it's like you said. There's certain camps, right? And I'm in my camp. And this just goes with anything in today's world. It's like our minds are not opened to listen to what the other person has to say, you know, because we're so geared to be responding to what other people are saying, rather than listening to what they're saying, and then base your response off of what they're saying. So you can actually have a conversation. Rather than, uh, I mean, you're not going to change anybody's minds that believes that, you know, you have to keep snake in a bioactive thing. And you're not going to change the breeder's mind that's breeding ball pythons that says, you know, I'm breeding it in, in Iraq and they're doing good. So what's the point? We're arguing with people we don't even know. This is why I pulled myself off of social media. I don't even know the people that I'm arguing with. And yet I'm wasting hours of my day trying to justify a point that... At, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's exhausting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, it is. And half the time, it's I know 
why I know my position because I've experienced something. You should do this. Well, I don't think so. Well, dude, I'm telling you, if you don't, you're going to have a problem. And I know this because like one of my snakes died and it kind of had a result of that. Like you, you need to listen. <laughs> so, and oh, I mean, you can only go so far with those, those yeah. types, man. It's uh, my policy is like, I, I, there's been so many times where I've started writing a comment on Facebook and then I just erased it. Cause I'm like, what's, what's the point? Like no one's going to change your mind. It's just going to go off into the void. No one's going to listen. If they, if they're having problems and they don't want to fix it, that's whatever. Trying yeah. to help them out. They don't want to listen. Whatever. I send those to Eric. So can read. You don't want to meet a horse yeah. of water. You can't. Drink. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and you're arguing with people. I mean, what if, what if you put up a post and the person that's actually commenting on the post is having a bad day? I mean, think about it. I, I work in, I, you know, I'm running a supermarket. You can't tell me that half the people that come in there bitching and complaining about shit are just having a bad day. And they're looking at, they're looking at somewhere to direct that anger. So yeah. you're right in front of them and you're getting it even though you might have not even done anything wrong. So you're putting up a post and now you're arguing with somebody that you don't know and you don't know what's going on in their lives. Maybe they're frigging crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you're sitting there wasting your time arguing with somebody. You're not going to change their opinion anyway. So you just have to decide what's best for you, what you believe is for your reptiles. You know, read the books, read the literature, talk to people that you, um, you know, look up to and, and follow their lead. And, and then you, you sort of lead by example. Rather than arguing with somebody about what they should do, just show what you do. And if what you do works and is right, eventually over time, that'll become the norm. And don't shit on the other person because they're doing it different. If the, way, if the different way they're doing it is still fine, if the animal's not dying and looking, then let them do what they're doing for now. You do you. Um, I, I find it, you know, I, when I started, I got, <laughs> I was on, you know, I started on King Snake and I was on the forums. And there was a little bit of arguing, but it's nothing like Facebook. You didn't see people argue nearly as well, much. Well, yeah, forums were different because forums was a community. Yeah. You know, Facebook is not a community. Facebook is every person on the planet that has the app on their phone. Whereas, like, when you're on the forum, it's a different situation. When I would go onto a forum, you would sit there and you would sort of wait to comment. You, you lurked for a long time because yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to learn from the people that actually know stuff. And you're going there because you actually want to learn from them. You respect that. I mean, you know... To me, that's what's, you know, why I push so hard to try to get the forums back. And everybody bitches about it, but nobody wants to take the time to go to the forum because then you can't do it on your phone and it's not fast enough and I can't just upload this picture and I got to do these four steps and blah, 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 blah. But then we still bitch and complain that we all hate Facebook and nothing changes. <sighs> I don't know. Well, I mean, here's a, here's a wild concept. If you see something that you don't like or you disagree with, don't respond. Just continue. To <laughs> see, that's why I love you, Justin. <laughs> just walk away. That's such that's, a smart ass, man. Well, see, that's where I am now. I know when I was younger, I would argue shit until I was blue in the face just because I'm right, you're wrong. But now that I'm older, I'm like, I just scroll past most of the stuff. I don't, I don't tend to comment on a bunch of stuff because, like you said, it's not worth it. You're not going to – you're not – You. no one's ever won a Facebook argument ever in the history of Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I can only comment on what I've done. I've kept carpet in, carpets and racks. They've lived. They've bred. I've not had respiratory infections. I haven't had sudden deaths. I haven't had any issues as far as anything. So the evidence would say that, that they're fine in racks. However, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of at this point where it's like, okay, so I'm in the wild and they're up in trees and I have them in a rack. Yeah. <laughs> so what am I doing right by the snake? You know, 
that's sort of the decision I think that individual keepers have to make. Yeah, my policy has always been like there is no right answer. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. It's just, you know, are your are your animals healthy? Are they doing fine? Like, are they reproducing? Are they eating? They're not. Clearly, they're not stressed. Uh, you know, and we'll we'll never know if they're happy or not in racks because we're not Dr. Doolittle, but we can only go by what the information that we're given. And if that's the snake's eating fine, the snake seems to be healthy, it's, you know, using thermal gradients, it's doing all that other stuff, then clearly it's all right. I mean, there's like that that whole, the level of passability for a setup is also subjective. Like, you know, a rack to somebody is horrible and they're going to say that snake's miserable. They don't know that, but you can put them, I, I use chondros a lot as that example, you know. I think chondros in the vivarium do not do well, personally. I I feel like tubs are a better way to go with those. They seem to do better when they're in a smaller enclosed area that's a little darker. They seem to do better. You know, they're just so when people start telling me and they start keeping my animals in a naturalistic setup, I'm like, have you ever kept like not all species work well in either or, you know, and that's yeah. And if you take preached it a million times, it's like just do, do what's necessary for the species. If you, if you take chondros and carpets, right? The reason why I would agree with Justin that chondros do do better in racks. There are species that do better than racks. And you can have perching in a rack for a chondro. I mean, you can have a tub that's big enough that that, that snake, that, that's why I never understand the argument. We're talking about the box it's in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's the same size box, what difference does it make? You know, you have somebody that's saying, oh, I keep my chondros in two by two cubes and it's, you know, blah, 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 and, and all this stuff. And some of the, the racks are even bigger than that. So is it space? Is it, what is it? You know? No, I mean, the whole argument is void in my opinion, period. Cause we're talking about keeping snakes in captivity regardless. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're trying to say that. in the wild, they do this, but the problem is they're not yeah. in the wild. Exactly. I think uh, that we have so many opinions about what makes the snake hobby look bad. And I think one of the worst things to the normal individual is probably seeing the ball python on newspaper that can barely fit in the tub. And like, I could go on YouTube and see some of the biggest breeders. And just recently I saw a video and dude, these ball pythons cannot go anywhere in this tub. It is. Yeah, that I'm not into. Yeah, that's not and like, this is bit, not, yeah. and they, it's not beneficial for the animal. You know, the whole small, the smaller, the better for the snake is not really true anymore. I think we all know that. I mean, maybe you can put a hide in there. I mean, that's a thing. That's what I do. Bins and if they can squeeze into the smallest hide bin in their larger bin, they're much more comfortable. <laughs> but you know, like I got a, I got a, what she's about a five foot water python that crams her ass into a five quart bin because that's her hide box. But she's happy as a clam in there. Pull her into a cage. She keeps hitting the glass and messes up her face and all this other stuff. So she's working better in a forty one quart bin with a small hide box. Oh yeah, my, I've got a seven, about a seven foot rainbow boa, and she's in a four foot cage. But she'd much rather stay in the sweater box hide that's inside there than come out. Yeah, and so it gives her room to come out and stretch if she wants to, but she stays in the tub when she wants to stay in the tub. Giving I them think, the option is better, especially because I, I I started putting in branches and my Timors and my olives and my white lip cages, and uh, my olive python just sits on the shelf and drapes himself on top of this big old branch all day, every day. That's just where he's at. So well, an advance in the hobby have really helped us feel like the Python portals that Jake and Justin always show those allow someone to have a tub, which is also a cage and it allows you to do both. And I think it's a perfect combination of both. 
And so in the, the 3D perches that y'all have in some of those tubs allow you to be, I mean, it's those advances that are going to help us be able to find the common ground somewhere in the middle, I think. Yeah, and Austin Ward made that naturalistic setup in one of those, and it looks awesome. Yeah. You know, like, you can't really complain when it's, he's getting what he wants out of it, but he's also really up in the ante on how he's using it. Yeah. So. So it's like Eric said, you know, we we complain about the outside. You know, who cares if it's a Rubbermaid box or a wooden cage? What's on the inside is probably way more important than what's on what the outside is made of or how it's shaped or looked. Yeah. So. Well, we're, we're we're human, and we make associations with things visually from what we see. And to people who aren't in reptiles, these types of tubs or things seem like, you know, storage containers they use in their closets or their garages and things like that. It's perception. And, and, and what that does is that they, their first look at that is that this is an inanimate object, sort of just a throwaway tub that is disregarded in some storage area. And it's, it's automatically associated with sort of like, who cares, just pack it away for later and seems passive. And so to the common person, their first perception is you don't care about, <clears throat> you know, this animal, you'll see it once in a while. You don't, you know, it's the, to the, the, the people that don't understand that are not in the hobby or not familiar with it, it seems cold, uh, impersonal, and just sort of, you know, it just, they, they, they're not sure what to make of it. So their first perception is negative, essentially, uh, when, you know, the common person is, used to seeing a glass fish tank and they think yeah. that's the standard because they don't they don't know anything about expanded pvc or racks or molded cages or python portals or you know they don't know anything about that well they so also want to put like no-nos too right what's that <laughs> glass tanks are no-nos too right apparently but <laughs> well, the first the first brazilian rainbow i ever had i raised up in a 20 gallon glass tank for three years before I upgraded her into something bigger and she did great. Granted, it was a lot more work on my part, but it worked just fine. Right. I think you could do it in, I think you can successfully raise pythons in a bunch of different ways and you shouldn't knock anybody else who does it right. However, way they choose tank, yeah. bin, cage. I don't care. <laughs> like, just make, <laughs> is the animal eating? Okay. Is it help? Okay. Perfect. Shut up. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, if the animal does its normal behaviors, it's eating, it's doing well for you. However you achieve that, great. Period. That's it. That's all it takes. For you have zero control over other people. Yes. Well, and, and people shouldn't be, like, when, I think the thing is, when we communicate online, we don't have a goal when we're firing off. We just have an impulse that causes us to fire off or whatever. That's, that's very human, right? But very infrequently, is it like, okay, what is the goal of what I'm about to write to this person right now? Like, especially in the case of somebody who's put something out there and it seems incorrect. And then all of a sudden the people who feel like they know better, they, they might mean well, but the, the projection is so off. It's so it's bad and it's created a rather toxic core of, of the social media side of things. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not going to lie. I mean, when it comes to like that, the type of social media stuff, if somebody just posts on a random group or whatever, asking for certain advice, I don't comment. I don't nothing on it. I'll message the person. And if they're willing to talk with me and have an actual conversation, 
yeah, that's how I try to go about it with anybody. But, you know, getting mixed into just public comments, anybody can get in on it. It's, it gets ridiculous. Man. A lot of those posts, the people make the post fishing for the answer they already have. And they're hoping that that's the answer right. you're going to give them. Yeah. Looking so, for approval rather than information. Yeah. It, but it's hard. Some people just are set because um, I had someone who was asking about a baby carpet that I sold them and I told them how they should go about setting it up and how they should do it. And their response was, well, I read the reptiles magazine article and you're wrong. <laughs> they read that one, they read that one thing, whether it's a care sheet or the reptiles magazine. And if it doesn't match that you're wrong. If the humidity jumps 10% higher than whatever it said on that piece of paper, the world's coming apart. Never mind that that issue was from 1999. Thank you. <laughs> from 1999, and I've been breeding for 10 years now. No, 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 you're right. You're right. The magazine is totally correct. But that's what that's the uphill push you have to deal with this, is that no matter what you're doing, I, you, I want to say that probably even Nick Mutton, who wrote the freaking book, every once in a while people are like, no, that's not what I've read. It's like, what does he know? <laughs> what does he know? Exactly. And that's well, the uphill push. I don't know if you remember, but – when I was just getting into carpets, maybe 2006, 2007, like get back into carpet pythons, um, that's how you kept them, 90-degree hotspot. And um, Luke Snell was the one that was sort of pushing the idea that it, it didn't have to be as hot because he noticed he was just paying attention to a snake. I think one of the things with social media is, is that we pay more attention to social media than we do to the snake. Because it seems like to me, and this is another reason why I pulled away from social media and I followed Justin's uh, advice and deleted it from my phone. And I, you know, if I want to go on social media, I'm going on my computer, which happens maybe once a day, you know. Um, but it's amazing how, how much better that makes life on a day to day basis. Oh, it's not in front of your face constantly. When you limit your exposure to it, it's amazing. Dude, I, now I got, you know, three podcasts that I'm working on just because I'm not spending all this time so this is on your social fault, media. Justin. I can blame you for this. <laughs> but, but the point is, is like it, it, it's almost like the snakes are extra and social media is the hobby, you know? Yes. Yeah. The reptile's extra. That's just like, oh, but we're just like, oh, look what I have. Look what I it's did. Look what I did. Yeah. And I yeah, that's why I really, I really, really got burnt out on social media, and I realized, oh wait, yeah. I am doing more social media than I am actual snake keeping and breeding. Yeah, why don't I just do what I originally got this, you know, got in this for? And most of the, most of the, what I call the, what I would call the real breeders, the people that have been doing it a long time and have an incredible amount of knowledge. Do you see them posting on social media all the nope. time? No, for that shit. They got to clean and breed. Well, it's not yeah. only that. They're into snakes or reptiles or whatever they're into, and, and they're paying attention to the actual snake because that reptile will tell you what it wants. If, you know, and this is, this is how me, you know, when Luke, I was at his house and he's showing me, he's like, look, I have the hot spot at 90, but the snakes are always over scratched, pushed over on the other side of the cage. They don't want to ever go near anywhere near that. So I lowered the temps. And then all of a sudden, their behavior changed. It, it, we didn't look it up online. It wasn't somebody that said it. It's just like you're looking at your snake. It's doing X. That doesn't seem right. Hmm, let me adjust something. You adjust it, and then all of a sudden the behavior changes, and you're like, oh, okay. That might be the right way to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> that, was a good, no, that was a good point. I didn't mean that. but I mean, Hey, Michael Jordan didn't become number one by, by partying every night. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> you weren't there. 
It also uh, makes me wonder the people that, that answer those questions, you know, cause I've looked and they say like, I'm having this issue. What do I do? And I, I'll look at the comments and I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. I have no idea how long they've actually been keeping this animal. How, why do you think you have the answer? And the people like to Eric's point that have been keeping the species for forever, they're not online to, you know, interject and actually give good information. And at some times I've seen like Keith McPeak put in an answer and then someone says, no, that's wrong. It's like, do you even know who you're he, talking he to? Like, hello? Like, <laughs> it's nuts. That's it's crazy. It just drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, it's like on the See forums. The chondro groups, you, there's just, there's always like a handful that just regurgitate the MVF care sheet that's been the same for 10 years. Yeah. Nothing ever changes yeah. or we don't ever learn. We never learn. No, 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 no. Well, the forums, you know, you used to learn people by their, their name on a forum. And, and now if you're on Facebook, like you said, you'll see a whole bunch of replies and you don't know any of those names. They're not the same. They're not the people that you're used to seeing. They're not the mm -hmm. people that you know what they're keeping and what they've done. Um, because like, like Eric said, everybody's on there. The entire world, if, if you can get on your phone, gets to have their opinion stated on everything. They're and it has favorite. its benefits because you can talk it, to people that are around yeah. the world that you would never have access to any other way. You know what I mean? I mean, I love Australian snakes and stuff. And like, I wouldn't have that access to those breeders and keepers down there and be able to pick their brain in, in the same thing. But I guess to April's point is what I said earlier. You, most of the people that you interact with on Facebook, at least for me, that I interact with, that I consider friends, I'm messaging. I am not putting a post up or answering their post or, you know what I yeah. mean? You're, you're messaging them and, yeah. and Hey, check this snake out. Look, I, you know, if, if one of my new snakes just shed after you just had it hatched out or something cool hatched out or something cool happened, or you got a snake to eat or whatever the case would be, you're messaging those friends, that information. And you're not necessarily putting it up online. If you will. But I will say that those friends that I've made, I've made originally from Facebook and connecting with them on social media. And then it's just, come off of social sure. media yeah so, so to your point like it has its place right but you know that's that's not the the first thing i think of when i want to you know share what's going on with my snake but you came in with an open mind you 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 didn't become friends with keith mcpeak by arguing with him because he was wrong <laughs> like no <laughs> that i didn't no it's you gotta you gotta have a you gotta understand that you're the newbie it's like when we're getting into an argument with Jim Bob Morelia, who has two carpet pythons, it's like, are you serious? Like, come on. Yep. Understand I want, where you are. I want that screen name, Jim Bob Morelia. It's all yours, buddy. So, <laughs> so what sucks is I was going to go, it looks like Justin froze. And I was, the next comment was aimed pretty much for Justin. But it was uh, Hunter Sheffield says he wants to see a, Cooking with Dr. Travis Wyman piece. Because <laughs> that'd be cool. Yeah. I, I told him I'm, I'm all for that one. And you should they start a baking channel on YouTube. He's, he, he said that someone said he should do it. I'm all snakes for it. Snakes and bakes on YouTube. He brings the best pie to Northeast Carpet. <sighs> <Yeah. laughs> Sorry. I, I, I mentioned the pie and I can't mm -hmm. in front of Eric without it. Yeah. So. Oh, that was good shit. Me, Nick, and Zach were like hovered over that pie. <laughs> Look, I'll see Travis post pictures of stuff that he takes to his, his uh, co-workers. I'm like, how can I not? Like, I want the job there. Not so much for like the job, just for the food that he brings to co-workers. <laughs> I'd be a janitor at Travis's job so I can get the food. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
But Justin joined. I was going to make because the whole reason I thought it was funny is because Justin found out that there was chocolate and red velvet cake. Oh my god, uh, he's in he's in super denial about. Oh, we got double Justin now. Oh my, there's so <laughs> oh, much Justin. Stereo Justin. Jake, what the hell's happening here? This is so confusing. Justin. <laughs> my internet sucks. Sorry. So you missed Justin. The, the one suggestion was that people wanted a cooking, uh, more cooking tips from Travis Wyman, like uh, how to properly make red velvet cake with chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, Yeah. Anyways. Um, and then, so that was our Facebook question. Uh, the things that our listeners posted this week, I had one article that was interesting from Stephen Livingston that said, releasing king snakes to control rattlesnakes is not a good idea. Which, I mean... Works so well in, with the cane toads. Releasing anything to kill something else has never been a good idea. But I, I liked the whole thing that he talked about. He said uh, in there, the article said that, you know, if you have a rattlesnake problem, you already have king snakes. Like, if there's food there, they will be there. And adding more king snakes was like, he said it's like pouring water on a flat surface waiting for it to, to build up. You know, they're just going to leave. They're going to, there's not going to be enough room. So... I've never heard that much of a problem. Have y'all ever heard of people like wanting to have king snakes released on their property? No. no I've never heard that. I have only because they're like, rattlesnakes could be anywhere. No, <laughs> no. Like, people get it in their head. Like, the reason that the people buy that, what is it, the snake away, snake repellent <laughs> spray, like, around your, your the perimeter of your property, and the, they'll, they'll, like, turn? Like, no. It, I saw it. a version of that at a tractor store, or a, a uh, co-op but it had a water dragon on the front of it so it'll keep water dragons at every yard that's that's really beneficial um but yeah so the, the whole releasing it's never worked ever so just calm down and the other article that someone posted was uh jason rock posted alligators make terrible pets and i couldn't really read much of it because it was national geographic and you had to like give them your email to read the article but the title alone i'm like yes alligators make bad pets that's yeah i feel like that's a pretty as, as someone who was taking care of Done. alligators, they're a bad Done. pet. <laughs> Done. Article over. <laughs> With that said, I wish I had an alligator. I mean, uh, who here has been an alligator chew toy? I got. Uh, I think you have, Owen. <laughs> I, I had an American crocodile grab my pants leg once. Twice. I was an alligator chew toy. No, I only let it happen. Not I only let it happen once and learned my lesson. I apparently learned slower. <laughs> no. <laughs> I uh, I had my hands on some of our gators today. Um, we were doing some feeding, and yeah, so I would get rid of my entire collection if I could have a Chinese alligator. Chinese alligators are cool. They're a lot more tolerant, much smaller. They're uh, they're not great with training. They have a very short term memory, in my opinion, especially compared to any other caiman or American alligators. Yeah. They're very resistant to remembering patterns of behavior, and they're just kind of they, – they'll learn your voice and things, and they'll swim up to you, and they'll be gentle with feeding things. But otherwise, like, you're not going to target train a Chinese alligator and get it to, like, you know, do stuff, anything. Like, you can get them to tolerate you, but they're, they're really wonderful animals. But that's the one – the one alligator that almost bit me once. I, uh, I worked with one, and we'd use him for education stuff because he was just always so calm. Um, you know, we tape his yeah. mouth just because, like, that's the safety thing. But, I mean, he never yeah. wants to take a snap at anybody. Not to say he yeah. wouldn't, but, yeah, oh, I love would. Chinese. He yeah. would, for sure. 
Yeah, you should always assume he would, but yeah, no, they're they're fantastic yeah. animals. It's not like the nine foot Nile that leaped at my face and tried to kill me. That was Yeah. Those suck. So anyways, back to the article. Alligators make bad pets. I would just they go do. out a limb and say crocodilians make bad pets because there I don't think people yeah. realize how big caimans can get. So many people buy dwarf caimans. And that yeah, and there's that. You mean I can't yes. keep it in a 20-gallon for its own? You life? could. I mean, you know, <laughs> eventually. It won't be able to turn around and it'll oh, just. I mean, no, wait. They only grow to the size of their tank, they right? Only grow to the exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, oh, there man. we go. It's okay. like goldfish. Good I've point. Worked I've worked and currently work with one of the two, but I've worked with both species of dwarf, dwarf came in, palpabrosis and trigonotis. They're jerks. Pal- palpabrosis are smaller. They're psychopaths. Um, they have insane teeth. I've been stabbed in the knee from one, breaking free of my grip and just shaking and hitting me in the knee a few times. Um, they're awful, awful creatures. Um, <laughs> and they need a ton of room. They swim a lot. They really do deserve to have sort of a freshwater stream sort of environment with a bank and some canopy cover. So you can't, unless you're giving them an entire bedroom and you're setting up a waterfall over there, plumbing a whole river system to that corner with an intake and doing that, you shouldn't be keeping those things. Trigonotis get even bigger and they're even bigger assholes. So, I mean, what more do I need to say? They're not good pets. When you see them at pet stores, like it's not like they had to go find a breeder. They're at pet stores, and they well, pet stores used to be in malls, but you'd see them all the time in places like that. In a window, someone goes, "I want that," and someone buys it from a pet store. So, at the same time, I do want to say that, like, there are people in the private sector, public sector, whatever you want to call it, not affiliated with zoos, that do fantastic job keeping crocodilians. They have facilities, the space, the money know-how responsibility to do it well so i don't want to say like nobody outside of zoos should keep like you shouldn't be able to tell me that you walked into a hamburg and watched a 12 year old walk out with a freaking american alligator that's it now that is a problem and it was i don't i don't i don't i do (laughs) not that's even worse i do not even care how old or responsible like there needs hey, hey, but he had a turtle one time, so he knows what he's doing. Dude, there needs They're to be a lot same, more right? checks and balances. I don't care what they say on paper. Like, d- that's just ah, it's crazy. You know I mean? See, like, exactly that is, and Owen always yells at me for this, but this is you vote with your dollar, right? Mm-hmm. So we complain about Hamburg all the time and what they're doing to the hobby with these, you know, we call it the Hamburg starter pack. And <laughs> retick crocking and cobra. Retick, yeah, hey. crocking and cobra. Yeah. That's the three. Oh, you, man, you covered your bases bad. and you're going home with it. Bad. But yet people still go to Hamburg. Like, stop going. Stop vending. Yeah. Correction, I sneak in for free. So I go but early we, and I sneak in. I pretend sit, like I'm with Matt Minatola and I go stand by his table for five minutes. We sit minutes. in our chairs and we judge and we say that it's hurting the hobby, but we, we don't – I don't know. I just don't see people – like, it's real easy. If, if nobody goes to vend, right, she's not going to have a show, right? Right, Owen? Right? <laughs> no, because here's the thing. I'll tell you that the worst of the worst – Maybe another show will there. open up. There you go. You hopefully another one show that open up has with better standards. Yeah, yes. but that's the problem is that there are always going to be those one those those tables. Don't that go to up. them. I I don't go buy from those tables that like pop up the crate 
pry it well, open because it came fresh off the air. Isn't that yesterday? Isn't that the fault of the show promoter? Well, yeah, because the show promoter should set the ground rules of certain Correct. things. And how many shows have we been to though, where it's captive U.S. captive board and bred only, and that thing coming out of the box, you know for a fact. Well, that's because they're bringing oh, that's the a big star. How'd that happen? You know what this, I mean? This is a good moment to. Name? This is a good mm. moment to go ahead and re-mention our new sponsor, Herb's Reptile Shows. James, we're shows. arguing here. Shut up. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I, I, I'm spoiled because the show promoter for Sean is is really good. I mean, he knows what's going on, and he doesn't allow he doesn't allow stuff like that, where the box shows up off the plane yes. that day and for them to crack it open and sell it. That's why he's by super successful, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But and vendors why you hear everybody and anybody that's on a podcast talk about it. They always talk very highly of that, that show. Yes. And all of the shows that he does. Agreed. Vendors at Hamburg do Cal- a lot better than I'm out in California and shows. I've heard nothing but good things about all the Herp series and nothing but terrible, awful things about Hamburg. What did you say, Joe? Hamburg. But you make but but people make three grand on one table. So that's the thing. It's it's right. the money aspect. It's like yeah. if right. if I do oaks and I do Hamburg, I'll do oaks and I'll make eight hundred dollars. If I do Hamburg, I'll make thirty five hundred dollars. And that's right. not even like and that's why people I mean, do it. That's what that's yeah. why people I, will go down to Florida and you get can't really boxes of baby games bring either you want the reptile hobby to stay the, to get better or you want to make money. Then I'll that's fight. It. That's what it comes to. See, but it's hard. If, if that's your job, you've got to you've got to pay rent that month, and you know that. <laughs> I don't so know what to tell where, you, man. I know that's where There's it's plenty of other businesses they can be in that Uber. are more lucrative. I'm hiring a shop, right? Come on down. I'll give you a job. <laughs> How much? We got to talk. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, either, uh, then, then don't. No. Then don't. Then I think the reptile hobby shouldn't complain about it. Then, like, yeah, don't would, complain about it. If unless you're going to do something about it, you continue to support something that you don't support when we're talking on podcast, but yet we go and do it anyway. And it's like, oh, well, I made 3,500 at this. Well, not I'm not pointing at you, Joe. You know, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, said that. no, 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 I'm, I'm just saying because of your example. And I'm not saying that the people that vend hamburger are bad, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm, what I'm saying is, is that the majority of those people in breeder, I mean, Matt's there, Balin's there, Howard's there. There's a whole bunch of Owens there. There's a good bunch of people that are there. And Owen. They can, and, and that guy sneaks in every once in a while. There, rather than to, do something else. If you want to start a business, maybe start a show. <laughs> I think the Northeast is is with too many. I mean, I mean, am I wrong? A good no. Show? The the promoters are at each other's necks, and there's so much drama. It is so stupid Love and it. ridiculous. Start an online show because that's the future right now. Online shows. Go. But, oh, I don't no. know. Gettysburg I, I like show is most defiance of every law and rule. So. Promise, I like going Figure to a out. show. It's it's a do family it. thing for me to go and hang we, out with we, folks. We, we talked about starting a podcast. You just do it. You just yeah. get going. You fumble over yourself a few times. If if the in place shows like the the face to face brick and mortar shows are too hard to regulate, some of those vote with your dollar decisions that make the industry better or worse. But you can do an online show, and the person who's coordinating it can vet every single person and be the gatekeeper to make sure that that sort of you know positive or negative influence is checked. Why is that not the easiest route? Everything is going online. People are working from home. Nobody's going to the offices anymore. And in, in COVID times, 
look at everybody who breeds full-time or anybody who does any significant amount of breeding. Their sales have gone up double or triple. But the thing is, I think I it think depends on why you go to a show, though. Because if you're going to a yeah. show to buy stuff, then, well, yeah, that works. But that's not what I go to a show yeah, for. I go to a no, show to no, hang sure. out. Sure. You, you, don't, you don't get the same in-person yeah. reaction, interaction. And it's not the same tangible, like, wonderful experience that we all love shows to be. Because I personally am craving shows real bad right now. But this is but, why we started Carpet Fest. Exactly. To, to avoid the show part of it. Like the, the real part of what you're saying is, is that you want to hang out with fellow reptile people and talk socialize. About we all yeah. have that. I mean, yeah. we all do. Why does it have to be a show to do it? Yeah. Why not invite people to your house? Well, it's Why like have a barbecue. When I go do the herb shows, the best part of the show is the Saturday night when we go out and hang Correct. out and just so do even all Tinley this. Park's the same way. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Think about yeah. it. Tinley Park. Well, the you struggle through Tinley the Park selling is... and then you go have fun. Yeah. 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 Well, and there's a whole tradition around it, which speaks volumes to that exact thing. And I want to make sure because that people understand I'm not even against having wild caught or imported animals because you look at somebody like Dan from DNM Exotics who yeah. like I would welcome him at any show that I did. But but That's quality. You see what I'm saying? See how he holds himself to a different standard? That's where we drop the ball in the reptile hobby, in my opinion. It's like we talk about the standard, but we don't hold ourselves to the standard. Well, I've quit doing Repticon shows, and I just do the Herb shows because I, I, and I know there are, I've heard there are a handful of Repticon shows that are good. There are a lot of really good Repticon shows in Southern California, by the way, that Dan actually vended frequently to give you an example of somebody who's a big supporter of it. And I've worked plenty of those shows. So some of them are okay. I have no dog in the fight for anything outside of Orange County. And in and, and the Southeast, they're not the best. Let I vend Baltimore Repticon, and it's great. It's like really I've heard Baltimore's quality. good. Yeah. But like down here, you're finding gutter salesmen and knife sales and people selling knives. And then you're finding people, all, the te- yeah. uh, you, know, you, know, well, you know, obviously wild caught turtles and stuff that they're just selling on table. They call it yesterday. You know what it was for me for Hamburg is like, I remember it was me and Owen. We were vending and I was standing across from a table and the girl had her ball pythons displayed in a two liter bottle where they took the top off and then like turned it around inside out so that the oh, yes, bottle that you, where you pour is on the inside. And that's how she displayed her snakes on the table. I said, she oh, probably I thought that was amazing. I can't do this anymore, man. I just, I can't. It's like, like Twilight like, Zone. Yeah. They're like sliced around the top, you know? It, and here's the other part of it. Like if people are, you know, you're not happy with the show or whatever the show you're at or whatever. Is anybody telling the people like, hey, you know, if you want me to keep vending here, maybe you should not have this person or is it more important to fill the table? Because I think- And that's where it comes down. Uh, you should talk yeah. to these people. You should, these people are yeah. savages. No, they don't <laughs> no, care. <laughs> Whoever gives them money gets a table. See, that's where it comes to the promoters. That was another thing. thousands of dollars on a display and then somebody across from you is putting animals in McDonald's salad containers because he blew through McDonald's this morning and grabbed a stack on his way out the door. Right, Owen, who's been vending Hamburg since I've known him, right? Yep. This is one because I think he was going away for a wedding or some something like that. Yeah, my, uh, and then he had to fight yep. to get a table again. Like, where's the loyalty? Like, you want me to support you, but you're not doing anything to support me. I mean, I ain't got time for that shit. I'm too old. Don't you know enough. who I am? <laughs> there's not enough promoters out there who worry about the quality of their show. They're just worried about how many people can I get in this door, and and I feel like that that's the problem and. 
It's a problem. science. Like, why hasn't Hamburg ever moved out of that really crappy building? Because it costs this much a year to rent it for this many days. How many tables can we get in there? This many. And that's it. And then how many people can get to the door? Like, that's the whole point. That's why at one point a convention center opened like two or three towns over in Reading. And it was gorgeous, air conditioning, huge. And they're like, oh, are you guys going to move? No, because that's more overhead. So they're not going to change the formula if they don't have to. I mean, how many promoters out there do you think will actually turn away vendors based on quality? None, because, I mean, let's put it this way. How many shows claim that they have a vet there that will check the animals to make sure everybody's healthy and good? None. Repticon Baltimore. Right, it, they I, I think they have a vet that goes Habit around. or Grace. New or- Herb's, New, Herb's New Orleans and Slidell. Yeah, but... Yeah, they have a reptile vet in New Orleans that does it. Other ones? Like, do you but the majority, seen- no. I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I've seen people who are like, hey, that, that ball python's not looking so hot, and they take it and they just put it under the table. I mean, I guess I've, I've seen Sean get people like, like no, you've got to leave. You can't have that here. I've seen... Fish and wildlife come in, escort people out of the building, give them tickets, confiscate animals, but then they return to their table and continue selling the other animals that were on really? the table. Which, oh if I'm like a show promoter and uh, you just got, you just violated some law, get the hell out of here. So, yeah. yeah. That was fun to watch. That was enjoyable. Guys, <laughs> <So, laughs> like, then- no, the turtles are for education. It's what the little science says. The cops, like, come with me. And I'm like, oh, yes. So yeah. There is always Diamondback Terrapins at Hamburg, and it drives me absolutely nuts. <laughs> Those are all collected right out of the And they all well, – and someone gets caught every single year. Every single year. And it's somebody's, still there. Yeah. Well, did you read that one where the dude's like, I'm the best Terrapin breeder in the oh, world? Yeah. You find out that he was just driving down the street in Jersey grabbing the females. And then shooting them up shot. with stuff. To- <laughs> yeah. Lay in, she lays the eggs, and then he sold the females. And he got caught because he tried to send them to Canada in, a, like, a Federal <laughs> Express envelope. It's like, are you kidding me? These are the these are the dumbasses you have to deal with. I mean, think about it this way. Think about it from this perspective. We all go all these extra steps to make sure that we take the best possible care we can of our animals. Yet we're taking them to a show where the promoter doesn't feel the same and would cut corners at any given point just to make a dollar. Yet we choose to take our animals and expose them to who knows what. Stop going to that show. I right. broke my tooth on a chicken finger once in Hamburg, and that was it. That was Jesus. done. Was the last straw. It wasn't the worst thing ever. It wasn't the cobras or the alligators. He chipped his tooth on a chicken nugget, and he's like, finger. I'm done with this place. I'm done with yeah. this. Screw this place. The straw broke the camel's back. Whatever yeah. <laughs> People are like, what's that snake? I'm like, go to hell. Like, yeah, that was the whole day. So, yep. Um, as far as YouTube stuff, because we always talk about YouTube on here, I didn't have much this week. There was one that kind of ties into people talking about the oddball species they want to see more of. R&B Reptiles put out a video. It was a care video on West African file snakes from Sarpamitra, um, oh, which, nice. which was really cool because um, I always think of file snakes as that thing you're going to see on the uh, importer's table that looks sick and skinny and probably covered in mites. And to see somebody that like is actually breeding them and – is reproducing and that's it's cool to see that happening because it's not ball Matt python. Most is a man, dude. Yeah, it, I was. I, it kind of made me go. Oh, I kind of like that snake, and I've, I've never thought about. Ooh, I want a file snake, but it was kind of cool looking just because it's so different than the norm for what I would have. Yeah, that white stripe down its back. 
Yeah. And the, just the body shape, that, that triangle body shape versus everything I have is round. <laughs> so, but I thought that was a cool video. Uh, I know, Justin, you had a couple of things that you had put on the on the little rundown that you thought. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to. I thought yeah. that was the homework. So I, I did this morning, or actually this afternoon. Um, but the YouTube thing, like Gary Scavino has been putting out some videos. Um, I mean, I know me and Riley have talked about them and stuff. And a lot of it's these information, these questions. Um, questionable, but, uh, you know, Gary's got some really nice stuff. Uh, and his videos are entertaining. Like he's he's very very good at, at telling the information in a very easily digestible way, um, where even you can understand it. And it's it's perfect. So, that was all I had for videos. And then I turned off your video, hoping that the audio would get better. But oh, you sounded like robot Justin. Mark, mark, mark. And then I just had a couple of topic questions that I wanted to ask each of you. Um, first one being, what is one major change you've seen in the hobby since you started keeping? And I guess we'll start with age before beauty. So. Yeah, what's it like seeing a change since the 1950s? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what was, um, you know, black and white TV like? Eric, you're what muted. What was it like to, to trade railroad bonds for snakes? <laughs> um what have i changed well i mean we sort of talked about it earlier it's just the whole change of the social media aspect of it um you know um the good thing i think that's that's happening now is you know the information that podcasts are putting out there i mean when i started there wasn't a podcast there wasn't books there was you know what i mean there was like very few very little information um out there on snakes you just kind of like took a chance and paid attention to the snake knowing the basics and tried to adjust accordingly. Um, and I think that a lot of those people don't get the credit that they deserve um, because they sort of paved the way, you know, I think of guys like Keith, you know, in, in particular, um, you know, um, and the thing that I love about him the most is how humble he is. But at the same time, I mean, the guys, he just, he blows my mind when he's, he talks about reptiles, you know, um, and now to see like, you know, I don't even know how many reptile podcasts there are now. 12, I don't, 15, I don't know. You've added, you've added like seven in the last <laughs> 25, but it's, but it's, but it's good to see that, that happening. Um, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I think it's a positive thing that people are more, you know, I used to say in the early days of NPR, like the, you know, my idea was always trying to uh, figure out what's underneath the hood thinking of a snake like a car rather than you know the paint job of the car like i think from the maybe like the 2000s until like maybe 2015 seemed to be you're only worried about what's on the outside of the snake rather than trying to figure out what's on the inside of the snake and what it needs and seeing that change um to go to try to be on the same level as like i mean look at the dart frog community and what they do holy shit you know they're on another level and meanwhile you know, us snake people are like, oh, um, so I don't know. So I, I think it, I think it's trending in a good direction. Um, but uh, well, yeah, I, I, just, yeah. I think about when you talk about like the people that paved the way. One thing I find interesting is just think about how many snakes like back then. 
if a snake died, that was kind of accepted. And now if a snake were to die, like if a ball python were to starve to death, they'd be like, what the hell did you do wrong? Whereas if it was 1990 and a ball python starved to death, they go, no, well, shit, they do that. All right. So I, I think, think that shows the big growth that we've gone in the, in the hobby. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like swinging back the other way, you know, I mean, back in like, I think of like my dad when I was growing up and he's keeping snakes and stuff and how he kept snakes is like completely different than anything that we do. And they didn't have technology. They didn't have any of these things that we just take for granted. And somehow they made it work. And I think it has to do with they spent time paying attention to the animal rather than trying to f- to, to make it like this was my fallout i mean this was where i failed with short tails i tried to take short tails and put them in the box of carpets and you can't do that <laughs> you can't do that you know you can't say like this generic like everything gets 80 degrees and everything gets an 85 degree hot spot and call it a day it's just i don't know it's more complicated than that i think it's good that we're moving to try to figure out how to make these snakes you know uh better Joe, what do you think is the biggest change since you got into the hobby, even though you started with ball pythons first? Who this man? Yes, I think- Who this man? <laughs> I, think, I think the biggest change is that how many people do you see touting snakes as an investment anymore? I, I think when I first got Ooh, this point. and you, you can bring it to the pastel, bring it to the pastel and you get a bumblebee and you took two you know, $500 snakes and you made a thousand dollar snake. But what people didn't know is that by the time you made that snake, it was worth a quarter of the amount. And basically I felt as though it was predatory at the time. I didn't know, you know, I had invested in it in quotes, but I realized now that it's, it's yeah, really not a great thing to do. Not really great for the hobby. I think now we have a much healthier perspective of uh, breeding and keeping animals. Yeah, I remember those mid-2000s going to Daytona and seeing $10,000 ball pythons on a table and $60,000 ball. And, like, people investing in this. And I was just like, that was one thing that burned me out on ball pythons in general. It's just walking around seeing that. I was like, uh, that's insane. And who was, benefited? All, the only only the person who first brought out the morph. And yeah, maybe, like, their two friends who they were like five, the There were, like, five people total that were actually making yep. the money off of those snakes. Everyone else thought they were going to make the money off of those snakes. And as soon as they stopped making money, they got out. How many of those guys are still around? Very yeah. little. And now you see folks starting to get these species that we talked about, these, these oddball species. And now it's more of, I just want to try to produce these things. I think they're cool. I want to see if I can make some more. Not so much, I want to see if I can make some more so I can sell them for $800. It's just the, let's see if we can make some more of them so we have them in the hobby. Air dress snakes. <laughs> And there's, there's still, and animals are still going for money. I mean, that's still a thing because, but they're also a lot harder to produce uh, the animals that are going for, you know, for decent money. Maybe, you know, you'll produce Apador and you could probably sell a captive born and bred baby for $800. I'm making up a number. I don't really know the Apador market, but you know, that's a, that's a lot of money, but it took you growing up a female for what, seven years or something ridiculous. I know a lot of people who are successful with those animals, wait years and that animal is not eating uh pinky mice yeah so uh, yeah so it's totally different oh and what we say is the the biggest difference since you've got in uh kind of building off of joe's i would say that more people are maybe selecting a high dollar morph animal just to be kept as a pet 
You know, yeah. they're more along the lines of they really love the look of this one type of animal. And instead of building a project off of it, they just want it because it's cool looking. Well, look at leeches. I mean, call six, seven hundred dollars. People just want one as a pet. The last three granites I sold were not to IJ breeders or people who wanted them. They were just people who wanted granites. So, stop it. So I see you. IJs? No, stop. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just like that. I mean, and and that's a double edged sword because, you know, how many people are getting into the fringe species because they're cool looking because they're awesome. You know, the ones that aren't readily produced in the hobby. So, but I would say that there's definitely people who just really want to have, I don't know, a purple ball python and they'll find whatever color or morph that is and they'll just have it and that's it. They're happy with that. I've spoken with more people who really aren't snake people, but would totally love an all white ball python, those blue eyed leucistic ones. Like, yeah, okay. All right. So, and that's it. I mean, some people are just happy with that. Look at Scott Borden, you know, he's got, yellow and black jungles and he's got you know his malukans and his white lips but he's he doesn't really care he's not built on project he doesn't want gelatins he doesn't want zebras he's just good with his stuff so i've seen that more of a shift and his wife has some amazing gargoyle geckos i don't really know about geckos i mean i don't want an animal that falls apart in my hand no some assembly required no thank you sir i prefer my animals intact so you, just, you can't go Lenny with the rabbits. Stop on it. Him. I already said that to myself on the show. <laughs> so speaking don't, of don't use my own words against me. <laughs> speaking of geckos, that brings me to Justin, who started out with geckos, kind of. Uh, what's the big change you've seen? Um, I think I've definitely noticed a lot more people are starting to sort of branch out and move away from sort of the what's been – the super popular, you know, just in, I mean, in snakes in particular, but, you know, you see like ball pythons, people are now starting to sort of acknowledge the rat race and are now starting to kind of branch out a little bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, other than that, I don't, I can't really think of anything else off the top of my head, but I just think people also are kind of more willing to step up to the plate with, with more challenging species and, and, try to crack the code on them um than we've seen in the past too you know it's there's not just a handful of guys now trying to uh i guess bow ellens or bow bolens jesus christ pony pythons no 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 that's a bad example but there's just there's more people i think working with more obscure stuff now than we've seen in the last probably decade plus uh and people are appreciating it like people are are they like it like people aren't sort of shunning them as like oh they're not in the you know the, the in crowd yeah uh i don't know that's i don't i haven't paid that much attention to it what about you jake yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat with with Justin. You know, when I got into the hobby, when I, I feel like when I first got into it, it was I was in that weird state of like, it wasn't you know back when you know we get everything and you know anything and everything you know for you know super dirt cheap, and then there's a period there where it was all just like morphs of ball pythons and leopard geckos. You know, that's kind of when I got into the scene. But yeah, now we're, you're starting to see more and more people work with some of the you know bring back some of those species yeah they're a lot harder to come by now 
but it, it's cool to see, you know, some of those, some of that stuff that you don't see so often, you know, actually starting to come to light, you know, like recently, I think it was last year at Daytona, it was the first show I've actually seen uh, rough scale pythons, you know, captive bred rough scale pythons for sale, you know, and it, Owen's head popped <laughs> up. He's heard rough scale. Yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah, why yeah. we don't have videos on NPR. All right. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, it's cool to see some of that stuff, you know, starting to, to come to light and, you know, start getting the, the recognition you know that they really deserve and you know you're starting to see more and more people who aren't as into the the morph scene you know it's granted i still think it, you know as a as a whole the, the hobby is way too in the morphs um you know they still reign king in my opinion today but i feel like we're starting things are it's starting to move away from that and you know i I like it, you know, but, um, yeah, it, it's cool to see that, that change, you know, in my opinion, but. And on that note too, I think it's interesting that it's like, because of social media, everyone sort of influences each other. So you see guys like Chris Montross who are, you know, the guy for Norodia, you know, yeah, Jake and, and myself and, you know, some other guys see that and we think that's just the coolest thing. And that sort of influences us to get in Norodia. And so then that helps the species sort of take off and, and gain some traction and, I think it's there's just kind of a back and forth, you know, Bairds once again, after talking about them so much, like I've had people message me on Instagram that have never heard of them and are super interested in them. You know, it's just like when you, when you put more species out there like that, uh, people, you know, maybe they never heard of them. And so they, you know, they go and check it out and then they start digging deeper and deeper. And then they decide that they want to, you know, they want to join that, that tribe and try and help them take off. Well, four of y'all are the reason I have my brettles. I mean, that was never Bingo. on my radar until yeah. I started listening to NPR and listening to you, Jake, and Justin talk about them. And yeah. you bought your bread life from one of the four of us, right? Nope. No. Mm. <laughs> Look, if you'd have produced just mm. normal, you can't produce normals. Produce normals. <laughs> sure. Wow. Mm. Sorry, I, I got mine from Nick Mutton because that's well, Nick Mutton. I just remember, like, when it's I was coming first, up. Owen. Like like four years ago, obviously NPR was one of the first podcasts I listened to, and I remember just over like five years or so, Eric and Owen making different species cool. Like Owen just started talking <laughs> about duns, duns pythons, and then everyone's searching for duns pythons. We you guys, tard, you know, god damn it! <laughs> and you guys did that with a whole bunch of like weird niche species, and it kind of like turned into a different cycle of all different species people were working it with. goes round because then you were like hey i got eastern black king snakes and i'm like the hell and the, yeah so it's it's cycled and well, it's well I, I told riley like a really rambling story about slowinski's corn snakes and now oh, and i know i know about them exactly so <laughs> uh-huh, I even please. i know about them yeah <laughs> <laughs> well npr i think is really the reason that and i mean I'm, you may not accept it but it's, i think it's the reason that carpet pythons are much bigger now as a in the hobby i mean because before they were those things that will bite you if you own them and now y'all talk about them all the time and talk about the different morphs and all the different things they seem way more obtainable than this thing that's just going to try and eat you every time you open a cage because it's they not still what they are they still bite <laughs> so, you. some will <laughs> so riley what is the biggest change since you joined the hobby uh, I think it kind of follows along what a few folks have said so far is this push back towards the obscure, um, kind of getting away from mainstream. I think people are, uh, like Eric said earlier, swinging the pendulum back. Um, so all these trends and fads, although they're not going anywhere, I think people are kind of getting oversaturated with that and they're starting to look for like red-tailed green rats and boiga and 
bull snakes and pine snakes and just kind of different things that aren't necessarily mainstream. So that's like the biggest thing that I've noticed, at least in the last two years in particular, quite heavily. So if if we, we look at it as this pendulum swing, we went from keeping all these species to morphs to go back to the species. Anybody have a guess on what could be the next morph craze if we're going to go back to that or what you think it would be after this, what the next swing is? Sadly, I, I, I really think um, it, the – I, th- I think a lot more people like, you know, in the next 10 or so years, I think the carpet morph craze is going to get a lot bigger. Um, to that. I feel like they're kind of at a, at a peak right now, but I, I feel like more and more people are going to get to them because I feel like I, I feel like people are starting to get a little bored with the ball pythons and they're starting to turn carpets into that. And it, it kind of scares me a little bit, if I'm being honest, but uh, that's, Kind of how I see it. I think I agree. I I disagree. Um, oh, and I'll no, tell you why I disagree. The end of the because show. <laughs> no, 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 no. no I, I, just the people that I'm talking to, and maybe it's just the people that I'm talking to. But like all my morph carpets that I have, nobody gives two shits about. Nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. And see, those those are everybody the wants guys. my yeah, gelatins, the, my poplin. Yeah. No, even people that don't keep carpets, like see, they're contacting me on now. a daily basis. I worry. You know, I think Jake's thinking in six seven eight nine ten years when people right. have these and they start to have all this you start to see way more carpets in people's hands now they go okay well i've got carpets oh wait i can get them in different colors now and then yeah, we start I, to go that path i see what you're saying but i think that the hobby in general i think i, I don't know i see it moving away from morphs i just see well i, I like, hope you're right eric i'll put it that way i really really do you know i don't want carpets to turn into that but it's you know that's just i don't know i i think I think it takes people to talk about the variability of carpet pythons just in general, that you don't actually need morphs to oh, yeah. to get that same fix. But I don't think that people know that, you know, and I, I, I think, I, I think most of the, most of us, well, especially us that are talking Moralia um, are sort of painting that picture. I think like, I think of IJs when I first started, like everybody told me I was crazy because nobody cared about IJs. No I one think it was like four IJs. people. Like, you know, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Shut up, one, two, three, four people on this thing that do. So, um, but now I see them and they seem, I don't know, Jake, what do you think? You think that they're, I think there might be the most popular carpet. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree. They're Maybe. they're becoming it, you know, especially you know, as far as far as the wild types go, man. You know, there's I I feel like every day I see somebody else posting their their IJs, you know, and yeah, I think they're starting to become one of the more popular carpets. And the benefit of the poplin carpets, as opposed to say the Australian stuff, is that we can get other blood, so that we yeah. can diversify the bloodline i think it was on april's video that that she sent that they were talking about you know breeding ethically et, et, well ethnically you know I mean. <laughs> <laughs> whoa this took a turn no yeah and and, and pop ones you know I, ij's pop ones pines whatever you want to call them um they're <laughs> yeah i'll claw myself no um i, th- I think they're the, also the perfect example you know for you know carpets or you know and, and pretty much you know, for any snake that, you know, they're, 
you don't need morphs. You know, they are a perfect example well, of the fact and that you are do focusing, not need morphs to get incredible snakes. You and know? you're focusing more on color now, which is really helpful because they've been around for forever, but again, they've just been seen as this brown snake. But I mean, yeah. I've seen pictures of some of the ones you have that are very orange and yellow and colors that you did not originally think of in uh, IJ. I'm still going to say IJ. Well, I, wish, I wish more people would run with their vision. You know, like take a step back, think about what you want to do and, and where do you see it and, and, and make it happen. You know, like, you know, because I'm going back to when I started with carpets, again, nobody gave a shit about IJs. What are you going to do with them? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, duh, look at the jungles. If you can do, take it from that to that, why can't you do the same with these? I mean, look at any species of python. I mean, look at blood pythons. Look so at Borneo. I mean, you're going to breed them to diamonds? Yes. No. <laughs> Shut up. That is not what he yes. is saying. But, but I'm just saying, like, if you, if you have the vision you know, and maybe sometimes you're going to fall flat on your face. You just get back up and you try again, you know, and this and is how gonna you learn. It's going to take a lot of time too. Yes. And if you're willing to put in that time, you can you know, change the look of something completely. And I think that that's, I mean, that must be why, I mean, it's hard to convince someone that a Popwin is better looking than a jungle carpet python, but there's just less no. room for improvement. I feel, you know, there's, you can, I would really be the first one to tell more. you that it's not. It's 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 not that it's better looking because I can't deny when you look at a yellow and black snake, no. I don't care what kind of snake it is. Well, what do you I mean, do you're going to turn somebody's snake. head. You make more yellow and black snakes. And where I feel like Carpenter is going to kick up there is that there's going to be more people who are going to have more projects like Scream or what we see in Australia where they don't give a shit about combinations. They just try to make something badass and cool. And Albino brittles. Uh-huh. So we're going to start seeing more of those, but we're not going to see know, them man. now There's because no... people can't, people can't cross that line. Where I know. are those morphs coming from? I know, but people aren't going to cross. Only, there's only a certain amount of morphs available. It's not, right. like, it's not like ball pythons where you have this endless supply of just things that are coming in that you can breed. Right, but they're going to get – here's the problem is that we haven't had any new carpet morphs since any of us hypo. And that's why I don't think that they're going to take right, over. But I think eventually people like say if you're into bread lie right now, it's not that hard to get a double head hypo stonewash stripe. Like I'm a triple head, god damn it. Um to do that, eventually you're gonna get to a point where they're gonna want to do something different, and then you're gonna start seeing albino bread lie this or something else that eventually oh, we'll get there. You're saying. Yeah, I got you. Well, eventually we'll get there. I'm not saying it's gonna it's like you're gonna run out of run exactly. out of combos to make so six, seven years down the road, where do carpets go? I think it's when we start blurring the lines and we start combining shit just to make an interesting looking oh. Morelia. And I see I think that's where the selective breeding aspect of wild types like you there is that you don't run out. I think that I think that's the incredible right. part of that is it, it that never stops, you know. And you know, obviously, you know, don't inbreed to you know fifteen generations, you know. But it's it's one of those things. I think that's why you know the selective breeding aspect of wild types is you know it, it's it's in my opinion it's just so much more fun than morphs, you know, because you know there's only so many combos that you can get, you know. And then you know the people who are in the morphs, like if you're into that, that's cool. But then you know, imagine what you can do if you take some of those selective breeding projects and then plug them into the morphs, you know, stuff. If you're you know into that thing, but the selective breeding stuff, it, it never stops. I think you know, that's, as herpers, we have this this button in us that's that's a collector's button, right? We yes. gotta have the whole set or the whole thing, or you can't have one missing or all the you know, at least that's how it works in my mind. And like I've been trying to change that because it's like, okay, what am I doing with all these things? Like, right. I got them all, but what 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 am I 
am I just to have them or was it, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't know. I hope it don't go that way. And I'm not poo-pooing Morse at all. Like I think they're cool. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely not. Um, but I just don't see how carpets, other than what Owen's saying, I don't see how the morphs are going to be more popular than the, and I don't know. I, I, I think the carpet world is sort of going into the short tail way of where it's like, that's just a no, no. Like you just, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do no. not do that. You just don't do that. Like what? <laughs> Unless you want to be shunned. <laughs> you yes. will not do that. <laughs> Sit in a corner. <laughs> I, I really think that, the different cycles that we see has a lot to do with the personal journey that each of us are on because, mm-hmm. you know, you are the average of the five people that you hang around. So if you're, you know, if you're interested in bioactive stuff, you're going to start searching for those people that are also interested in it. So then you're going to realize that there's more bioactive going on with different species than maybe what you knew of before. So now you think that when you first started, not many bioactive you know, enclosures were occurring, but as you go along, you're like, oh, well, that's the new thing now. No, you just got interested in it. And it was always there. Just now you're open to it and you see, it. and that can go with anything, you know, that can, I started off really with morphs and patterns and colors and now have gone into, I still like the morphs and the patterns and colors. It's one of my main things I do, but also selectively breeding and making that breed better. So the people that I kind of associate with are more along that line of thinking and not necessarily all the morph stuff. So for me, like I agree, yes, it's going into a cycle for me personally of, you know, more of the the natural looking animal, the wild type looking animal and working with that um, like you are with the IJs. Um, so it's, I don't think it's necessarily a change in the hobby necessarily as a whole. It's just that we're going through these cycles ourselves as we're going through, you know, our, our hobby on our own. Yeah, and now I'm friends with Travis Wyman, and that's why I got rubber boas because I can't uh, let him have more burrowing dirt snakes than me. So now I have to get Calabar's uh, pythons because he got yeah. them. I so. think, I mean, I don't know. Would you guys agree? It's it's kind of like you know we're doing these podcasts. Number one, you're exposed to all these different people that you're interviewing or you're talking to, and they're exposing you to different species that you may not have known about. And then if you get the right guest where they come on and they're super excited about what they're talking about, I don't know. I mean, me and Owen used to say it all the time at the end of the show. We're like, Oh my God, we got to get X like, Holy shit. I can't believe we don't have them. We need Thank them. God that know? stopped. Like, I mean, lots <laughs> and all, these, all these obscure species. It's just like randomly you're talking to somebody. And I think that we underestimate how much we set the tone for certain things in the hobby. Like all of us here, like, you know, and all the podcasts that are out there. I mean, if you have a fan base that's listening to that, they're looking to you as the person that's in the know. I think with me and Owen, that's probably a bad move, but <laughs> I think with all of us, that's a bad move. I'm being so, straight uh, honest with I was, you. I was curious with all of y'all, do you prefer having someone on that deals with the animals you already like and have, or do you prefer having a guest on that deals with stuff that you don't know about and you like finding out about new stuff? It's a mixture of both, man. Mm-hmm. It, it just I like to mix it up. You know, it's fun to chat with what you have, but it's also just as fun to learn about new new shit. You know, it's I don't know. I think a good podcast is a good mixture of both. How many core snake breeders have I had on? <laughs> that's true. Right, that's, that's just because you don't want to give anybody yeah. else any publicity, man. That's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I always I kind of always want to want to branch out and talk about different things. I would I don't really like to talk about morphs, even though that I 
freedom and stuff like that. I would rather talk about different things. I do love listening to Owen talk to someone that has animals that he has, he knows nothing about. Yep. Because yep. like Owen, Owen hates boas because of one species that he kept one time. It, it ruined me. Yeah. He acts like all every question is they smell bad, right? No, no right? They don't. <laughs> well, yeah, I think yeah, I think. I think if I'm being honest, like a lot of, I, I don't like going into a podcast that I, that I feel uncomfortable. Talk, I mean, I think of when I was talking to Daniel Natouche, you know, Riley was with me. Um, I just didn't feel like I was versed enough at that point to be able to do that interview justice, if you will. Does, uh-huh. does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so, hard to make the interaction really flow if you don't know enough. Yeah. Right. yeah, because you're not asking the, the right questions where you're going to mm-hmm. keep the, you know, Daniel Natush is on another level. So, like, you want to you wanna talk on another level. And, I, I, you know, sometimes it's intimidating. I, I mean, at least it was for me. Um, but that's the whole purpose of me and Rob doing the student of the serpent is because I told Rob, it's like, he, I've never, you know, I've said this before, but, like, I, I've yet to talk to him about a species that he doesn't know about. And like, I want to get to that level, you know, I want to be able to, to, to push myself out of my comfort zones and continue to grow. Um, so I'm going to force myself by doing, doing this to sort of, um, you know, pick a species, focus on the species. And, and, and we wanted to do something different than the interview style. Like, I think that's been done to death and I, we're looking to try to, to do something different. Well, I think Joe does the best of finding folks that are so different from the previous guest and the other guy. Like, I think Joe, you've got such a wide variety of different guests on your podcast. I like like the tight, the tight rope walk where it's like, uh, maybe make it through this one. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of enjoy that. It is. Yeah. It's exciting. I have no right to ever talk to Marco Shea. No, I, know, right. I, told, I told april i want to interview marco shea but it, it doesn't fit into our podcast at all and i was like we may just change it for a day just so i can say i talked to marco shea one time that's all i really want but he, w- he was fangirling real hardcore on that one uh, it's marco but she doesn't even know who marco shea is so it doesn't matter like she i know blasphemy for me i know oh i think with us it's we're we're in such a we're, i mean we're, we're i mean we branched out every once in a while but we're in such a, a you know we talk about Morelia. We're Morelia Python Radio. And then we'll talk about pythons, you know. And Does it ever surprise every, you how much you can talk about Morelia, though? Because, like, it, y'all do, but it's it's not the same show every week. It's it's very different. Like nine well, years and counting, so we'll let you know when we hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole idea was is just that. It's like, you know, we said it earlier. It's like you want to – if you want to change things, then you have to do something about it, right? So everybody was like, you know, gung-ho about um, ball pythons, and everybody had this misconceptions of uh, green trees and, and carpet pythons. So it's like, okay, that's not the case. That's not how it goes. So you start talking to these breeders and keepers, and they, they put their information out there, and then slowly over time people start to change their idea of of what that is you know so cool that's that brings me to my next question because that's kind of here what is the one major change that you've seen in the content because we've talked about content a lot on here whether it be youtube or justin with herpetoculture magazine um you know we all kind of grew up well not eric because he's too old but everybody else grew up on reptiles magazine uh, Ed, what are you talking about <laughs> you were like already growing up britannica thank oh, you i'm sorry much. i was vivarium days yeah. <laughs> um 
but what what do y'all think is the biggest change you've seen in content? Because I mean, I think from when I got into reptiles, really start in like 2003 to now, it is so drastically different. What's out there, good or bad? Um, what is the biggest change you've seen in the? Because we don't all kind of watch the same stuff or do the same things. Uh, Joe, what is the biggest thing? My favorite thing right now is that the YouTube algorithm is really into money videos. And then all these awesome breeders who aren't doing it for the money now only do videos about the money. And it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) You phony fucks. (laughs) Yes. Fucking mic drop, Joe. God, if I have to watch one more, I don't watch them, but if I have to see one more thing where I unbox a $10,000 snake, I don't give a shit. Like, move <laughs> on. How do you keep that $10,000 snake? In the snake room. I unbox a brand new snake in my in snake the, room. Right oh, next to my, all my other animals. Get me fucking started. <laughs> oh, I'm going to open it here, and then I'm going to take it into quarantine after this once I show it to you. Open I need a good background. collection. <laughs> absolutely crazy gonna lay it next to the animal that i'm gonna breed it to in four years stop uh terrible check out my macklets (laughs) oh my god (laughs) justin is that you jesus christ (laughs) baskets of macklets so april for you what is the biggest change you've seen content wise because you you've only really been in the hobby for a very fairly short period of time yeah it's really only been six years um and i just think there's an explosion of the content that is available um before you know it was more i I guess even the old videos that i see are kind of like diy your enclosure kind of a thing and and now it's just you know, huge breeders and going into their, you know, breeding facility and seeing all this kind of stuff. There's just an explosion of what's available for us to, um, to look at, you know, and YouTube specifically, but that's what I've seen. That's different. So Riley, you have a YouTube channel and you have a podcast. Um, what's a huge change for you that you've seen? Maybe not that you've done, but you've seen. Um, the biggest thing is as far as YouTube content goes now, it's beyond overproduced and it's, it's all over dramatized and, and very much about, you know, just talking about how cool or how much they've got or whatever. It's very egocentric about whoever's putting the videos out and it's just, it's, it's beyond realistic. Like they call them vlogs uh, and it, it, it doesn't even give you a, a real semblance of their daily life because no, the vlogs are totally scripted. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. They're either scripted or they're just edited to the point where it's completely fabricated essentially at the end of the day. And like, I just, it's not relatable when you go to that degree. And at that point, all, all people are getting at is just, you know, how much you've got how much more you've got, how much better you're doing, how much, and it's just, everybody else is doing it. And it's just kind of, it's redundant and it's not interesting and it's not pushing the hobby forward. And it's not something that captivates me as a, a viewer when I'm looking for something. I'm, I'm somebody who's completely hungry for knowledge and looking to watch something where I might learn something or revisit a topic or it's a video that I've saved because it had a great concept and and the person speaking had a fantastic 
uh, way to convey that visually in their video. So I save it to go back and study it much like when you go back to the complete carpet python and look at some of those details in there every time you know you doubt yourself. It's just one of those things. And when all it is is just is just kind of flamboyant showboating and clickbait and you know just it's just it's not reality and it's it's the same reason why I haven't had cable TV in anywhere I've lived for the last five or six years because it's all trash. It's all garbage. It's not real. It's not relatable to me, so I'm not interested in any of it at all. That's, I like watching them. So like your stuff, Riley, is fun because it's, it's watching Riley just be goofy in his snake room. Like that's and that's fun to watch. Well, and I struggle so much with it because, like, I feel like I I script it and make it something when I it's not like it is just me normally doing it. I just happen to film it, but like I even feel like that's almost pushing what my personal comfort level is as far as like how it's portrayed because. If you really saw it, you'd see me cleaning a lot of shit and like wasting a lot of time and like taking photos and not talking to the camera and like yeah, know. what it's like to actually own snakes. Yeah, exactly. So like to a degree, you have to do that, but like it just—I feel like for some content creators, it becomes an addiction more than it is their occupation, and it becomes an egotistical thing, and it, and then it they start getting into these numbers games where they're competing with their friends and they sort of, it just becomes this competition to outdo one another. And then that's when you see the algorithm start favoring the, the money because that's what all these people eventually, you know, reach their pinnacle at trying to do like their pin. It's just, it's just not authentic anymore. Once you've gotten to that point, if you're not like showing yourself, unshaven like unshowered <laughs> like oh i'm cleaning snake crap today and it's like under my fingernails and like you know i gotta do this and you're sweating on camera like i'm i don't know dude like i'm not it isn't relatable and that's kind of the bottom line like that's why we watch this stuff yeah what was, right? was the interview with howard redding where he was like cleaning the entire time that was trying to do the <laughs> if you want authentic there it is <laughs> she was like oh, oh okay uh, all right it was like a binder that was yes. a binder <laughs> yeah, I, remember. <laughs> I do remember that as soon as owen said that i was like wait there was a binder in that video <laughs> oh that's great so jake for you what is the kind of biggest change you've seen in in content wise um, I'm kind of on the same page with Riley, man. You know, it's everything so in your face and, you know, mainstream now. Like, are you even a person if you're not free handling a King Cobra on YouTube right now? Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. To be honest, I've really pulled away from YouTube um, because it was, you know, I watch, you know, like Riley's stuff and I watch, you know, select people's uh, stuff. You know, Dan Malaria is somebody's you know, yeah. his videos I watch because I respect him. But, you know, I used to, you know, when I first got into it, you know, I, I spent, so I went hours on hours watching YouTube. But now, like, you know, number one, I don't have much time for it. But number two, like, most of it's garbage. And I just, I don't know, it's sad. The content is just, you know, now it's all, you know, it's got to be flashy. It's got to be in your face if you don't have, you know, a catchy, catchy, the title to your video that says something about somebody getting eaten by something you know it's just <laughs> almost killed uh, by my snake yeah exactly you know it's just i don't know man it's sad to me to, to 
you know, having seen it, you know, go through that, that phase, you know, cause technology has advanced so much since, you know, back, you know, since I started, since I was watching them, you know, and the videos have gotten so much better, but the people have also just gotten a lot more shitty. So that's, yeah. Justin, as someone who is, you've got a magazine and a podcast, content you've got a lot of content that you're putting out what's a big change you've seen or why why did you go man i've got to put out a magazine when there are already publications out there he just, just said he dropped again so yeah i'm fine justin, justin. Forget oh, you. God damn it <laughs> forget mic justin dropped. justin just mic dropped it <laughs> <laughs> all right eric i'll ask you some i mean what is the biggest change you've since seen you're actually here <laughs> since you're here eric, why did you start like some me? people um, <laughs> sort of what you what what everybody had said it's kind of that way i think one of the the cool things that i see and i don't know if it's just it goes back to april's point earlier it's like you start to do certain things so you surround yourself with those people but like i get it i love watching field herping uh, youtube videos yeah, yeah. Um, the amount of knowledge that you can grab from 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 that is amazing because you're actually getting to see the environment and the person is going to probably film it in a way that that shows that as opposed to like something that you're going to watch on like animal planet or bbc or something like that you know what i mean it's it's not going to be the same although you will see it you're not going to see it the same way it's edited up and, and whatnot where you if you're looking at somebody walking through uh, the environment, you're going to, you're going to say, Oh, okay, well, this is what it looks like. And if the guy's sweating, you know what I mean? Like you're going to say, Oh, okay. It's really humid there. Huh? You, whatever it would be. So I, I kind of like that. The one thing Riley will remember this. It's like the one thing that frustrates me is when people talk about things in definitives, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Like they say, not, everything is this, not everything is that, you know, and, and where are they basing that from? Like, where are they saying that? And there was this podcast that is sort of a big name, right? Goes and just, I felt like I was, I was met in the Riley. I was like, you know, we spent nine years doing this podcast, trying to get rid of these misconceptions about these snakes and have a better understanding of, you know, cause carpet pythons can be can be complex that the, there's different subspecies there's different localities there's different morphs all these things and in one fell swoop whoosh, gone <laughs> you know what i mean like all that information was just kicked away because the person that was doing that content has more viewers or more you know listeners or whatever the case would be and it really just oh man it just really i don't know it just it's like all the work that we me and owen have done for the years have just been like down the drain because this person didn't do their homework, you know? It, it, I don't know. I am so, so like, curious. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Owen, let's, let's go on a positive. What is something that you've seen positively that has changed content-wise? Nothing. Wait, you're going Nothing. to Owen for a Nothing. positive thing? <laughs> I know it's going to make him be positive. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, make him be positive. What is wrong episode? with you? What the heck is going and on? Gee, have you not listened to this show? <laughs> I wanted to force Owen to have to say something good. God damn it. <laughs> All right. Um, I would say that there seems to be a different uh, turnaround opposed to when I first got in, it was what you have to do to the animals to keep them alive and then get them breeding. That's it. Um, there seems to be more of a push towards what can you do to make sure that the animal is being kept to the, to the best of your abilities, like for its health, for that for it seems to be more of a push for keep the animals correctly and then the breeding will happen 
not the you know 90 degree hot spot on your rack and you know newspaper and deli cup and that's it and then then you know doing all that stuff seems to be more towards um keeping the animals correctly as opposed to doing the the, the barest minimum to get them to breed so i've seen that as a shift because i mean when i first started into carpets it was um uh it was early 2000s then i got my first one in 2003 2000 uh 2004 so um that's what it was it was do this to get to this size to get it to this age to put it together and i lost several carpets along the way because that's really what you shouldn't have been doing so there seems to be more of a twist for keeping them cooler feeding them less giving them more space doing this and the other thing it's kind of more of the let there seems to be more of a push to keep the animals alive for 25 years as opposed to breeding them in three or four years and killing them. So that's what I would say would be the shift I've seen. Justin, are you here? Yeah, I can be positive. I am here. All right. <laughs> so let me ask this to you again, since you weren't here last time I asked this. So content wise, uh, you produce a lot of content. You, you produce a magazine. What, what change in content from when you got into it to now, mainly caused you to go, I've got to do this magazine. What, what was missing that you said, hey, I've got to do this? Nothing was really missing in particular. It was just like, I want to help people, but I want to help people in like a passive way. So I want to just, I put stuff out there and hoping or assuming that people who do the right amount of research and stuff end up stumbling across it and that it's then something that they can pass on to their, you know, their friends or like YouTube, podcast, magazine, like all that stuff. I just wanted to be a resource. And to me, like, especially with the Condro stuff, which is what I've aimed a lot of my YouTube channel stuff at is like, I'll be working on something or me and Brahms and Luke will be talking about something in particular. And I'll be like, man, this is a question that probably gets asked a lot. That's just something I should make a video out of. Um, so, you know, just putting it out there and just making it so that it's not hard to find. And it is the correct information and, that kind of stuff uh <clears throat> like the magazine though is just that was just wanting something you know i wanted something like the old reptiles used to be i just wanted you know people need to read more but but reading takes so long yeah i can watch well, a five minute video of someone having a snake bite their face that's that's better someone doesn't answer all my questions when i ask about like how to keep it breed it and feed it <laughs> i don't want to yeah, google well, that that's not my that's not the people I'm aiming for then if that's the case. So, April, what about you? Change in content, other than now you're part of a podcast and you weren't before. <laughs> um, I already talked about this. I was the first one to go, James. Were you? <laughs> I was, oh man, Riley went half an hour. So. In a room full of podcast hosts. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> But Amateur if you remember, hour. I said there's a lot more content now than there the was. The problem is there's that? a lot more content, but is is there a lot more good content is the issue that I have sometimes trying to find stuff. Like, well, I'm trying to find stuff for our podcast to talk about. There's a lot of stuff I could find if I were to search reptiles, but the problem is not all of it is stuff that I feel has got, like, oomph behind it. Like, I, I enjoy watching Dave Kaufman. I think – production-wise, and the fact that he goes to these places, and he's not just showing you ball pythons in Iraq. He's showing you informative stuff. I think those videos are done very, very well. 
I think that's a great mix yeah. of the production side of it with the good quality content. Because to Jake's point, a lot of it is just going production, production, and getting, you know, the great shots no and all the different effects and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, putting that together into a video to make like a cool video, but it might not have, you know, the quality content that, you know, it really should have, but it's just, you know, clickbait, you know, at the end mm. of the day, that's, and that's where it's moved to. Is you and I end up talking about the same people every week, but that's because they put out the book. Like I enjoy primitive predators. I know Riley talked about earlier. There are people out there that own crocodilians and they're doing it properly. Watching primitive predators videos, I think they're one of the people that are doing crocodilians properly. I don't know if Riley agrees with me, but I think that it's a pretty good channel. You know, Emily, I enjoy watching Snake Discovery. I mean, it's obviously not aimed usually at my age range, but I think what she puts out there is pretty good. Like, it's very informative. Clint is really good. Clint's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, I agree. They're perfect examples of, you know, the argument is always made about Brian Barczyk, um and his videos and how it's clickbaity and all this stuff. And, you know, this is how he gets, you know, people that defend him will say things like, you know, uh, well, this is how people get into reptiles because this is what they're going to see first and blah, 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 blah. But then That's you look at somebody. not what the hobby's actually like. Correct. And then you look at somebody like Snake Discovery, right? You look, She's you look got a bajillion followers. I mean, she does it great. No drama, no bullshit, no trashing another person, no, no nothing. She's just talking about the snakes. You know what I mean? And that's where I think that content sometimes gets lost is because then it becomes about the person and not about and the I th animal. I think Emily probably brings more people into the hobby than some of those clickbaity things. 100%. More, more real people because I've watched her 100%. with kids. I've got a nine-year-old that loves Emily and has met her in person at shows. And it takes the time to stop. To I mean, if you ever try to watch Emily and Ed try to walk around the show, it's nearly impossible for them. Uh, they get stopped every two feet for a picture, autograph, this or that. But that shows how much, how much they have, how much pull they have in the hobby. Really, I mean, they're bringing in these kids who are bringing in their parents or bringing in their families to something that they wouldn't have done before. And watching someone get bit by a snake while trying to feed a rabbit would not have done that. That's like why we wanted to when Joe was doing his online thing and she was a part of it. You know, I was talking to Owen about it, and I was like, you know, this is the kind of people that we want to support. These are, you know, like I, again, voting with your dollar and supporting the people that are going to put the hobby in a positive light rather than a negative light, you know, and try to, 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 you know, but we tell me, tell me, and I'm guilty of this as well, but like, do we talk about her on podcast? I mean, Joe's had her on the podcast. Official sponsor from, from the ground up podcast. Well, there you go. Hey. See what I'm saying? So like, here's somebody, we should probably be highlighting people like that more. We're not a yes. child-friendly show, Eric. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have yeah, no. <laughs> no, that's why I think that, that we have sailed. <laughs> we have an opportunity, and like Emily doesn't want anything else but to talk to snake, like real snake people about snake things. Like, trust me. Yeah. And um, and I think a lot of us kind of poo-poo it just because she's a popular YouTuber, or a lot of these other people who may be legit but they just happen to have big followings. And instead, like we could harness, you know, people like that, and yeah, it's, and she's and such a positive them. person. Yeah, you watch it. That's her. That's I've met her person a couple times, and yeah. that's her. There's no fake anything on on there. And, and she's I, so enthusiastic about every single snake <laughs> that she has, which is just so great to see. 
you need that if you're going to be mm-hmm. if you're going to be a personality like that and appeal to like even younger crowds you need to have that kind of upbeat energetic personality i mean isn't that half the reason that we were all kind of sucked into Steve Irwin when we were younger? I mean, right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like, that's it. That's right there. You know? So yeah, use those kind of people to help promote the hobby in that, in that good light. And as much as people want to bitch about bar check stuff, the people I've talked to, like people I work with who are like, maybe have one or two snakes, they know who he is. They all want to go out and see his, Reptarium and stuff like that, and they they all they talk about is how gorgeous that place is and how cool those animals are. It is God, a really cool place. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So it it I don't care it, as long as it's painted in a light. And you know that was a rule something I made to my, for myself years ago: no bite pictures, no feeding videos, because that's a that's a level you don't ever want to get to. You know, have we all been bit by our snakes? Yes. Have we all? But, you know, yeah, they, you- nobody used to see that. Wouldn't you say though that like I think Emily's done feeding videos, but it's not the same. But it's different. She's not. She's yes. not. She's not trying it's to not watch, this, watch the snake strike at this. Yeah, it's not like, like a chicken on a berm, and they're like, "Wait, any minute now to rock music." Like, come on. But my point is, is that you can you can make your yeah. content look any way you want, and it's yes. not necessarily that the eating part of the snake is a bad thing because they eat. I mean, everybody knows that they eat, but it's how you portray it. So when yeah. you look at somebody like Barcheck, maybe not now because I don't I don't watch his videos and I'm not knocking him or putting him down or anything like I'm not I'm not getting into that thing. But what I'm saying is is that he chooses to make it clickbaity because that's how he chooses to do it. She chooses to do it a different way, and her personality and her just passion for snakes really is what it comes down to, right? Well, I mean, yeah, and, and it's weird, like support because it. If you were to look at, at YouTube, it seems the formula to make money is clickbait stuff, striking videos, and things in and, and these big headlines. But in reality, she's doing it. I mean, look, she's about to open – if COVID hadn't happened, she was about to open her zoo yeah. up there, her little inst- reptile zoo. And she's doing all that through what she's done with YouTube. And she's getting the hits. She's getting the views. So it's like, what is it? Is, is it – can what she does be done by somebody else and still get more people into the hobby? Or is she an outlier and everybody else is the way that it has to be? Well, Dave Kaufman does it too. Yeah, I mean, true. he's not doing clickbaity shit. That's true. Dan from DM Exotics, he's not doing clickbaity shit. It can be done. It's just you choose, it's whether or not you want to go that route or not. You know, they, yeah. it's, I think it's probably much harder to go the way that they've gone rather than to go Barchek's way because that's mm-hmm. just going to, you know what I mean? That's what, no. what everybody wants to see. You have to put more effort into it. If you, you well, can right. get the clickbaity thing, or you have to have more over the top good content. Like so. I enjoy a lot of what Camp Cannon does, what he does down there. I think his. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched a few. Yeah, he's he's decent. And so, like that stuff's good. I just I wish there was more. You know, we talked about. So for me, growing up, content wise, was Animal Planet, National Geographic. That was for for most of us. There was not all the content we have now and there wasn't YouTube and all that. And so when we talk about Steve Irwin, um, yeah, he did stuff that we nowadays, we look at people and go, why would you, why do you do it? Don't do that. But imagine how many people he brought into the hobby from just his show. I mean, it's so many people owned a snake or are still in the hobby because of him. Yeah. I mean, I became a zookeeper and I, and I have my snakes because of him. So while he did that, he did it in a way that was just so much different and he did it with a passion for the animals not so much for as you watch i watch some people now and i question their passion i know y'all make fun of the word passion but i I question their passion for the animal versus 
look at me and how cool I am with this animal. Whereas he also supported conservation. What yes. other, a lot of these people, no one else is really supporting conservation. Yeah. Uh, that modern. There's day. people that say they are, but there's, I think, I think the really difference, I think the difference between somebody like, if you look at, you know, when you go back and you look at Steve Irwin, when we were kids and we're watching Steve Irwin, we're excited because we're kids and he's doing this excitement, he's passionate, da 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 da, right? And I think now, at least for me, now that I'm older, I'm more attracted to somebody like Mark O'Shea because he's yeah. getting into the nuts and bolts of snakes. Like this guy really loves snakes, and I'm not saying that Steve Irwin didn't, but he just he was he was the guy that drug everybody in. And Mark O'Shea was the guy you started listening to once you started to go to another level. If that's yes. like the foot in the door for me, honestly, Brian Barczyk was the foot in the door for me. And then you expand right. and you see what else is out there. And then you, Oh, this is what really interests me. And then you kind of go in a different direction, right. but you need those people to get your foot in the door. Yeah. 100%. I think overall content wise, as much as there's stuff out there, where like every week we see it like, God, uh, we're in a pretty good place. I mean, we talk about all the podcasts just alone. I mean, the fact that we can have all these podcasts and they're not, even when many of us have had the same guest on, but it's not the same show. Like it's, they're very different shows. Um, I think, I think we're in a pretty good place content wise. And it makes me happy just because the more stuff I can find that is reptile related to listen to or watch the better. I don't know. There's maybe so you much got... though. I don't have time for it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like there's so much. Like, you can only clean the cages so much before you're <laughs> just like scrubbing clean plastic. I mean, come on. So like when, 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 when me and Rob recorded student of the serpent, I had such a hard time because to me, I'm just so used to Owen. And I don't think that, and I joke around about this, but like NPR could not go on if it was not me and Owen, because I think that the dynamic is not only the animals, but I think it's the dynamic between me and him. Absolutely. Yeah, you know I, agree. What I mean, I agree. And uh, you go have your podcast with Rob. I'm not. I'm not. I'm fine. It's okay. Hey, calm good. down, Jake. Nope. nope good. <laughs> whoa, good. whoa! I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just all like, of us are like paired up in podcasts too. Which right. Is it's just, it's it, you know. Joe used to be, but you know, sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to. I was just looking at the list of people damn, in here. I was like, oh, there's damn. one that's not. <laughs> Sorry. One of these things is not like the other. Everyone's oh. paired up. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I was like, oh. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> anyway. No, I, think, I, I think the dynamics. Oh, my God, are, James, ask a question. The dynamics <laughs> on our podcast play a big role. Like, it's. I enjoy, I really do. And I know y'all say people tell you all the time, but Jake and Justin, I really enjoy your one-on-one podcast each month. Yeah. Which is surprising because I was sure that this would be like, people would be, that would be the one that no one gave a shit about. I feel like <laughs> us talk for an hour and a half. Well, so many people listen yeah. to it. And I mean, I listen to all of y'all before I ever talk to you, obviously. And when you listen to someone like that, it's, it's more, it's more intimate. And you feel like, Oh no, I know that person. Like I'm friends with that person, even though I may have never talked to that person. Mm-hmm. And so when that's like when y'all meet people at a, like carpet fest for the first time, they come to you and talk to you like they know you because do they've listened to you make fun of Jake for yeah. two hours on a Thursday? <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. No, it, it's also a weird feeling when somebody comes up to you and and talks like they know you, you know. But it, it's weird, but it's also like super cool, you know. Like you can just relate to somebody, you know, because you know they obviously they listen to you or whatever. But it's you know it's weird, but it's also it's, it's very cool. 
Seems like you listen to Eric and Owen or you and, and Justin, and there's so many of these inside jokes that everybody's in on the joke now at this point. Like it's it's a, it's an inside joke between you and everyone that listens, and they continue. Like, I mean, I get yeah. every time someone comes up to me, they have to ask me about April's ball sacks. Like that's what they always ask me about is her cats, and I'm like, out of everything we talk about yeah. on the show, everyone wants to talk about her ball sack cats. One was walking around on the screen earlier, and I was like, I'm surprised we're not doing it more, I'll be honest. But that's the other thing is that I will get an alert from somebody I've never met over an article about how some redneck shot Bigfoot in the middle of the woods. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't even know you. I hate you. (laughs) Like, you know, uh, that's the way it is. I think I I would say, too, that like the uh, like just with Jake and Justin, like it surprises me. We listens when it's me and Owen than when it's a guest. Well, maybe beside Nick Martin. <laughs> you broke up but, there and sped up. I thought it was like, uh, it's after 1030. He turns into a pumpkin usually after. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's my like, old man's shit. He takes his, got to take his back pill and go yeah. to bed. Yep, yep. My can- <laughs> I need my pipe and my smoking jacket. When I had Riley on the podcast as a guest, I've never met Riley and never talked to him, but because of like his YouTube and him being on your podcast, Eric, and being like by the time he got to me, I felt like I know him because I've heard everything he said. And I feel like that's how everybody is when they listen to us. It's yeah. it, like I said, it's weird. It's weird. You don't know why someone's listening yeah. to you for two hours on like the hell are you listening to me for? But you know, because this whole thing is just so I can have one night a week where I get to talk reptiles. Because then the rest of my life, no one else gives a shit. They make fun of it. So it's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's why you just do more of them. Yeah. <laughs> you get more weeks, more days. Yeah. So. But well, I agree with Eric because, like, when I do Conjuro cast and, like, Jake isn't there with me, it is very much different. Like, it's very different for me. It's much more awkward. I'm just not the same. So it's just, I don't know. It's. With Phil, it's a lot more fun. That's for sure. Oh, damn! A lot oh more fun God. than having Jake. Oh. That's... Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just yeah. Damn, that's fucked up. Nuts. That's all right. I, it's right all right. There. I already have. Uh, I already have a scheduled corner cry later. So. <laughs> okay, it's, <fine. laughs> it's cool. You, oh, you already you, did that today. I didn't say this was my second one. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, wrapping it up. But I do want to bring up. You kind of mentioned it, Eric. I know you've mentioned a couple times you've got more than just NPR now you've kind of hinted and brought these things in through NPR, but where do you see and where have you gone with your podcast and everything besides away from Owen, apparently? Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's going to be one with me and Rob, which is student of the serpent. And that's going to be so diff- different than any podcast that's out there. It's not the interview style. I'm, you know, I, I'm sure it will get better as time goes on and just sort of like NPR did, but um, I'm excited about that one. Um, and we have carpet cliff notes, which we've been doing, which I've been getting now that we're on a routine again, we are doing that and I uh, seem to get more and more people loving that. Um, I like hearing the background of some of these morphs and some of these things that y'all talk about on a regular yeah. on your show. And I don't know about them as well. And then you talk about them in Car- carpet cliff notes. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, the cliff notes came around because I mean, regard it's i'm kind of like you man i I don't want to stop talking reptiles so when you're talking reptiles you don't want to stop and you know npr can be long it it can i mean some two three hours long you know and it's like 
there's, you know, if something's good in there and try to take it out and make it in a bite sized thing. And then, you know, maybe they'll come over and listen to NPR, but if very, if, at the very least now they have knowledge so that, you know, that the correct knowledge, if you will. Um, so there's that one. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, another one <laughs> Owen's going to be doing, um, you know, his goofy colubrids and stuff that he does. <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, I'm stealing Riley and we're going to do one with, uh, colubrids and stuff like that, where it's just going to be like 30 minutes of delving into a certain colubrid, maybe more along the lines of when, how it was discovered and also like zoo settings, stuff like that with it, as far as like, just keep basically just keeping. So is every episode just going to be, this snake eats a lot, shits a lot and bites. Next, yes, piece. kind of, slowly. Next, yeah. <laughs> so, but we'll also get into like discovery nomenclature. This shit you get into with zoo stuff. So, and then the other one that I'm working on is a book review. So, like once a month, pick a book and review it. I think that reading rainbow, green eggs, <laughs> it's green eggs and ham. Eric gives it five stars. Eric Burke Book Club. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think I might do it to where. You know, I was talking to Graham about it, but um, yeah. He's who I thought of immediately when you said yeah. that. Yeah. So this means me and Joe got to do another podcast now, right? Uh, yeah. Are we, are we all cross-pollinating? Yeah. yeah. Once again, I'll just go fuck hey, myself. I'm <laughs> an orgy. It's happening. You know, Jake, just grab April quick before, like, James tries to pick you into something else. I mean, get, go. Yeah, you know, let's go. I, I think it's a little, a little bit of, um, you know – you want the you want good content to be out there and you know you have the ability to sort of do it and and not necessarily that it's going to be me that makes the content but you have the ability to put the content out there and pick the right people and talk to the right people and and, and do those things why not yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like what am i going to sit here and complain about that there's no good content or am i just going to make good content like what why you know i'm inspired by justin because I mean, he's got magazine and he's other you know what i mean like all these things that he's juggling it's like oh, okay all right well let me take it up a level you know so jake and justin y'all have a competition y'all not have the <laughs> herpeticulture network so do you want to explain kind of what that is and what y'all are what you have coming up and all that stuff i got tired of running like four different pages <laughs> Yeah, you got Tonjo Cast and Snakes and Stogies and their Herpeticulture podcast and the magazine. Am I missing? I've got to be missing something in there because. I probably. <laughs> so, do you have any plans, anything future wise, or is that enough? Or have you finally found out that's enough to keep you busy? No, I mean, that's enough for now. We'll see. Things change. You never know. Need one with just Jake. Yeah, still, uh, we still need the Dart Frog podcast. No one is doing a Dart Frog podcast, and if someone doesn't do it, then I'm going to start it. Damn it! There you go. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been wanting to start <clears throat> some YouTube stuff, but my schedule has been crazy lately. You know, I figured out a better schedule for you know cleaning snakes and whatnot. So I'm hoping to be able to free up a little bit of time and start some um, YouTube stuff or even um, IGTV specifically um stuff posted uh more to my instagram just more videos and just something to to get out there a little bit more um but yeah and R riley do you have any plans for more youtubes i know you've kind of stepped away from doing your uh what was it carpets and coffee or um well it's funny that <laughs> um we might bring that back no no we are you have no choice do it Yes. Yeah. So 
so I've had I've had a few people kind of nudge me back into that and give me some words of encouragement. Uh, actually, a handful of people, and over the last few months, a lot of people ask about it, and it really actually is so low production value that it's it's almost there's no excuse not to do it because I literally just set up a camera and just run my mouth. Um, and the other thought was maybe like get into like trying different coffees and be like, you know, coffee snob about it, but then like <laughs> focusing on one or two animals or like a project or a line or something like that. And just really kind of just merge those two because, you know, most of us need coffee to wake up in the morning and I could do it on my days off and just it really wouldn't be that much more of a time commitment considering it would happen on a day off. So that might happen again. We might resurrect that and try uh, re-injecting some life back into that at some interval. So we'll see. But as far as the other YouTube stuff goes, I'm trying to just stay consistent with weekly stuff, whatever it is that I'm, go you know, I have going on. Um, just kind of uh, figure it out on the fly, usually like the day before or two days before and, just make something happen. Just keep putting something out there that I'm at least comfortable with in my portrayal of what I'm doing. So. What about you, Joe? Any plans for, I, mean, I know you're busy. You've, your whole Port City Pets thing has kept you super busy lately. Yeah, it's tough. I really, I can barely keep up with my podcast at this point. I, I don't know why I thought I could do all the social media stuff and actually breed animals legitimately and also do the thousands of isopods. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, mostly, and what I'm into right now is I'm building like an eight foot olive enclosure. I think, I think what I'm going to do in the future is I'm going to slim down all of my, a lot of my corn snake projects. I'm going to really focus on what I need to focus on so that say, you know, I just mixed up 80 pounds of substrate yesterday to put in an eight-foot bioactive enclosure for an olive python. Like, I'm super pumped about it, and I'm super excited, and I should be able to make a video about it, but I'm not because I don't have the fucking time because I have 200 babies that need to eat every four days. And when I open the takeout container, they launch out, and I have to chase them around the room. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, that's time-consuming. Corn snakes suck, um, but <laughs> buddy, buddy, you need a female olive python. You, we can talk, you know. I like, do have a female. I just need two yeah, males, man. which is the least convenient species of all time. Like, who what wants two males? You just need a shed from another male. So, Smitty, mm. I, I forget that I have a chondro sometimes. I'm like, oh, that guy. <laughs> oh, I, I guess. Still here. I forgot you had one. Yeah. yeah. I haven't. <laughs> 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 yeah okay. he stays in he stays in the corner in a tub uh in a, all do because because if i want to if i want to put him on display he wants to kill himself and you know stop shedding correctly and stop eating yeah, they're pretty good at that. yeah they kind of suck like that so, so really? like, yeah, you thought I they were superior they that are hilarious <laughs> all right so i think we've reached an end so now i'm gonna let y'all each do your end of podcast thing where you tell them where they can contact you and hear you and all that stuff since we all have our own version so riley you go first all right you can find me at riley's reptiles on instagram and facebook reptile room podcast.com uh, and reptile room podcast on facebook and instagram uh, pretty much your typical social media stuff. And then as far as YouTube goes, just my name, Riley Jimson. 
Eric, you're up. And then he mutes himself. It's very hard to hear you while you're muted, Eric. Oh, oh my God. We went the whole God. show and no one doing this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've done it twice. This is going into the home. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's past my bedtime. What do you want? Um, Dude, I hear you, man. Oh, Four hours past your bedtime. Yeah. Um, everything you need to, uh, to find us is MarayPythonRadio.net. Plug nice. Morelia too. That's something you could do. You could could plug your own company. That's cool. That's maybe. No. Oh, right. EB Morelia. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't you have like all the care? You have care sheets or like guys? You have a bunch of information on on your website as well. Like yours has. You actually have an actual Morelia. website. Yeah, ebmorelia.com. Yeah. You have any scaleless carpets for sale? <laughs> Give me a cheese uh, I'll get you one. He's gonna be all in. <laughs> I will feed that to the pop when when that is hatched out. <laughs> Owen, go ahead. Uh, Rogue-Reptiles, Rogue-Reptiles on Instagram. And there you go as far as stuff going on. I'm getting babies ready to sell. So, yep. Joe? By our jungles. Owen, oh, we, we cross-pollinated our Yeah, yeah we did. Whoa, we did. Yeah. Hey, whoa. I have breeding projects with several people on this call. I mean, like, you know, there's Joe, Eric, Riley. Do we what a whore. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, Riley. Don't you worry. So, yeah. Yep, got trying to sell jungles so I can send money to Joe. He needs it because apparently he just got way too many corn snakes. So I, That's a lot of pinkies I need to buy. I Owen. know, right? I mean, God, one jungle sale could feed your – Corn snakes for what a week, maybe 35 cents each. Those little bastards, <laughs> 35 cents <laughs> now. Uh, portcitypet.com, isopods, corn snakes, all that good stuff. Port City Pet, wherever, and from the ground up podcast. From the ground up podcast, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jake. Um, find me on Instagram, Facebook, JLB Morelia. If you want to add me on Facebook, Jacob Bratz, you can listen to me on the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is a part of the Herpeticulture Network. All right, Justin, it's your turn for all 50 things that you do. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Palmetto Coast Exotics on all social media platforms and YouTube. Herpeticulturemagazine.com. Pediculture Magazine on all social media platforms, the Pediculture Network on all social media platforms, and Pediculture Podcast, which is included in that. So, I think that is that all. That's it. Probably for now, till tomorrow. I think that I think that's it. <laughs> April. All right. So you can find me on YouTube at Designer Exotics. On Instagram, it's Designer underscore Exotics because I found out someone else has Designer Exotics on Instagram too. There's two of us now, guys. Um, Show us the cat. There's her ball sack. There's one of the ball sacks. <laughs> There's one of them. Um, and then uh, DesignerExotics.net. That's where you can find me. All right, and then I am simply underscore serpents on Instagram or simply serpents on Facebook. And if you if you need a baby sambo, please send me a message because I need to get rid of some baby sambos so that I don't have to feed them a bunch of pinkies like Joe's having to do with his corn snakes. And then for us, you can find us at 
the reptile gumbo podcast on instagram the reptile gumbo podcast on facebook or the reptile gumbo podcast at gmail.com each week we'll make a post where you can tell us things you like us to discuss um and that's it i want to thank all of y'all for being here i was super surprised i was able to get together this quick and everybody's schedules lined up even riley on his weird time zone <laughs> yeah in california yeah you pulled it together real quick man it was great yeah so. man this was great yeah, thanks everyone for for showing up and and being here. We appreciate it. You'll never yeah. be ever ever be able to get us all in the same room ever again. You're probably uh, right. That's probably honestly. true. Never gonna happen. <laughs> carpet one time. Yeah, maybe carpet fest. Maybe. If we ever have those ever happen again, I mean, true yeah. that. Yeah. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. <laughs> all right, night, guys. Talk to y'all later. Night, everybody. Bye. Bye.